under the under the under the under channel. How's everybody doing today? Uh, this is Robert Under. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Under Channel, the original bullshit podcast. Uh, with me, as always, I've got Aaron. How's it going, everybody out there? All along for the ride this week, we got Steve. How's it going? And we got the birthday boy. Birthday boy! Birthday, birthday boy! Scrimps is in the house. I like yeah. boobies. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that from his birthday party yeah, last from week? from his birthday oh. party. Yeah, we, you caught it. So, uh... I guess let's start with that. What you what did you do for your birthday? I know you had put up an event. We were we were out of town, so we mm-hmm. didn't have a chance. Yeah, so. you, you missed out. You bitched out. Uh, <laughs> we went to awesome Wild Ready Player accusations. One. Okay, arcade and played X Men. I beat Magneto. Nice. So I could leave. That's my goal. How many, how many did you, dollars did you play with? Right you play? I probably only put it like a dollar because okay. one token is what character a, did you beat it with? A lot. I. Beat it with Storm. Okay. And then I I jumped in halfway, and then I, like, well, I got to play the whole game. So I went back and oh, played the first lots half. of holes in this story yeah, now. So huh? so, uh, it was like a big fish story. I mean, this other guy was playing, and I jumped in at the very <laughs> end. I, I got the final hit, if you really think about it. This would never work. Then went to a new dance club venue called Deluxe Flux. They got nice. custom arcades. I don't know where to start with them. It's like one was called Zug Island. That yeah. was cool. That's where the uh, the Disaster Girls are playing soon. We talked about nice. them before. Mm. Yeah, we've talked on that a little bit. Uh, newer venue that's opened up with some custom arcade. Uh, I need to make it out there. Uh, I've never. There's a lot of shows I've seen that are going to happen there. I'll, 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 maybe the next couple weeks. Basement venue. I don't know what really? it's going to be like, but I know it's going to be loud. Well, this week, guys, we are going to we'll start the show off with our local topics. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about uh, Mayor Mike Duggan suing the state over no-fault insurance. Um, a neighborhood, uh, Woodward and 8 Mile. That's Detroit, right? Woodward yeah. and 8 Mile, that, just south of Ferndale. Like the, yeah, it's Pinnacle. right there, Wayne State. Uh, yeah. Is that really where Wayne State is? Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. Well, Ferndale's 9 in Woodward, right? No, Woodward and 8 Mile is just where Detroit starts. Oh, it's like the, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm the sorry, bridge. Not yeah. Wayne State. God, I don't know what I'm thinking. Wayne County. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about a, a neighborhood right there uh, having an issue with a, a new Asian corned beef restaurant that's interested in opening up. I'm worried a little bit about the smell. I guess I could see, Are you saying could see something that. against America? Sounds and uh, finally, we will talk about the Trumbleplex turning 25. That's the cool. uh, local anarchist collective uh, been around 25 years. That's that's massive. Yeah. So, Classic. Uh, we've also got an interview uh, that I did with uh, John Diener from uh, formerly of uh, the Swellers, currently of Baggage, uh, putting out a, a comic called Hope for Flint. Uh, that happens uh, September 1st, uh, which will be tomorrow. If you're listening to this tonight, it comes out. Uh, we'll also have our Venture Brothers uh, Season 7, Episode 4 recap, as well as our preview for September of the new movies that will come out uh, in theaters. So we'll start off with Mayor Mike Duggan suing the state over no fault insurance. Uh, Aaron, you did a little more research on this than I did, but basically what it comes down to is uh, Michigan specifically, but even then Detroit specifically, has some of the highest auto rate insurance uh, or auto insurance rates in the country. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing for his lawsuit is if we are forced, like we don't have an option. If you have a car, you do not have an option. You have to have at least... No fault insurance. You have to have it. You can't. You don't. You can't drive without insurance. So the argument is, if we're forced to have it, 
it should be a fair and affordable price for all citizens, period, hmm. across the board. And you shouldn't have these gigantically high fluctuating rates, you know, between this city and that city and this township and that township, let alone, you know, you leave Michigan and you compare it to another state, you know, such as like a New Jersey or something like that, where the rate is almost, you know, not New Jersey specifically, but other places, the rate is almost four times as high. So the mayor of Detroit has put this lawsuit together. It's actually going before a federal judge. Okay. So it's actually, you know, another level beyond just a normal lawsuit. Um, he's also got a few citizens that are part of this lawsuit with him to kind of argue the case um, to say, hey, look, we're being punished. You know, we drive here in this state. You know, there's something going on. Why are we paying so much? And I get it. High risk factor, Detroit, you know, uh, Flint. You know, there's there's areas of the uh, the state that having a car couldn't be a problematic. It's mm -hmm. a risk. You know, so insurance companies are going to want to charge more to insure the vehicles and things. But to his point is if you're forced to it and you have to have insurance and all you can do is the basic no-fault insurance, and that's what the lawsuit is centered around, it should stay somewhere in the realm of maybe a flat rate. So affordable. An affordable it should be an affordable yes. rate. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, just by a little bit of reading on the Detroit Free Press article, uh, Duggan is basically uh, trying to make them null and void the uh, the no-fault uh, law, which went into place in 1973. Holy shit, man. 40-something years they've been dealing mm -hmm. with that. Uh, so, I mean, really, anyone who's probably listening to this, that's all you've ever known in this state. Uh, but what it claims is that Detroit, there are 38 other states who have uh, lower insurance rates than the state of Michigan. Um, I guess we'll start with, why do you guys think, uh, first off, do you think that the government should be involved in regulating something like these rates? Or do you think it should be reverted back you know, almost to a free market? Or, hey, if I'm a company, if I'm a local, if I'm an insurer and I'm all my checks are there, Right? Why shouldn't I be able to offer whatever I'd like? Well, you get to a point where you're, you're gouging. No, no, I'm not saying I'm going to gouge. I'm saying if I can go in, if I can open up an insurance company or a firm that can uh, deal insurance, why shouldn't I be able to go in and undercut the mm. the rates? Right. But right now, isn't it basically saying like the way the state is making them hold it? Not not just that insurance companies are are gouging you, but I'm assuming a lot of that's getting kicked back to the state, so they have to keep their prices even higher to meet what the state's asking for as well. Yeah, the state demands you to have unlimited health coverage. That's that's the issue, like unlimited dollars towards your health in a, you know, severe accident. Mm. That's why it's so high and plus their algorithm of well, no one in the Detroit specifically, a lot of people don't have insurance because of the high prices. So just like reset, reset. It needs the, a, it the needs rates. to be resetted. Yeah. yeah, and people can afford it because they'll be buying it, and it'll even out. That's my input. Yeah, I had seen something where uh, I believe they had said like, on average, it's something like was like six thousand dollars, like like over the course of five years, like yeah, six thousand dollars over the range. course of five years that somebody's paying just to drive a car. Yeah, um, in the state legally, I should say. I mean, I'm sure lots of people don't, but yeah. Um, 
that's that seems absurd. I understand. Like, I mean, th- six thousand dollars isn't a ton in the long run if you think about like what your medical bills could end up being in the event of a major accident. But it's also in a, in a nationally recognized depressed economy, which we have here. It's not really affordable, right? It, it's like pushing people past. Uh, you want some expendable income for your population to have to go out and put some money into the city. This is a great way to uh, to fuel that. What do you think, Steve? I was about to say, yeah. If you can fix, if you can reset it and fix it to where a lot of people can afford it, they, they people will put that money into something else. So would you guys would you guys want to see something? I know it's a stupid word. I don't like to say it, but like Obamacare, where there is a like cheaper government subsidized alternative to alternative. to that and affordable yeah the affordable automotive act i have no problem with that no i, I mean if they're forcing you to have it right if they're if, i mean if, if they're already yeah, the forcing already you forcing us why not government state i feel that's what no fault insurance started out as was the idea is hey this yeah. way everyone has to have insurance and it'll bring everything down and then Everyone and they basically been bitching pro- about it ever since. It's, it helped to protect you as the private citizen from getting sued. Mm. Oh, okay, that makes sense because you have the insurance to cover it. Yes. Okay. Mm. I, I just don't understand the whole. There are stats like, well, you live in this zip code, so you're going to get lower rates than the zip code, two hundred feet away from you. But you don't drive only in your driveway. You're going to all those other cities. Yeah, so it should be some sort of regulation where, hey, across the it should just be a metro rate. Detroit area, and why why not have a statewide restriction? Hey, um, for this type of insurance, it's one hundred and twenty nine dollars a month, whatever it would be, no matter where you're covered. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't I'm, I'll be honest. Like Heather takes care of all the bills. So I don't really know <laughs> shit. If you guys just said that was really good, I would have been like, yeah, oh yeah, it is really good, right? <laughs> Great price. Yeah. Great. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, up. why not have like, like something regulated like that? Because you're absolutely right. Hey, people who live in Detroit, they pay more than somebody who lives out in like Podunk, nowhere, right? But also, people who are in Detroit are they they deal with a lot other fees that people who live out in Podunk, nowhere, don't, right? So it's like, oh, the people who are already having uh, troubles with money and already being gouged in other ways. Well, let's let's find another way to layer on some fees on top of them. So it would make everyone safer because if everyone can afford it, everyone will be covered in some way. <laughs> If everyone had insurance, it's almost like this plan could actually work. Mm. Well, actually, Obamacare is not going to be required after ne- after this year. Like uh, it drops off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you will not act. be if you do not have it. You will not be no charged, P, yeah. penalized. You oh, not, okay. yeah, that's yeah, great. Not penalized. I'm glad to hear that. That was that's such a fucked up thing. That's like forcing someone to have insurance they can't afford, and because of that, you get additional fees. That's Damn, if Guess like, what you get at the end of the year. If I've ever wanted to be like, I mean, I'm too lazy to be an anarchist, but like, if I ever was going to be an anarchist, it would be <laughs> over some shit like that because that's just strong army people. Yeah. It's it's not right. Or maybe you could just not have it be forced. It's just like, do you mm-hmm. want it? Yes or no? Yep. Have it as a standard. But I also would say, understand the repercussions, right? Yeah. If you you, you don't want to have if you don't want to have no fault or this kind of insurance, and you get in a car accident. I don't want to hear you complaining about whatever that entails. Yeah, you, at a certain you need point, to have there's complete a autonomy to over it. this. Absolutely, you need to, like you, like um, they need to 100 ex- like have the person say, "Hey, you understand? If you do not have this, you cannot come back to us after the car crash mm-hmm. and complain." Yep. Yep. So it's hard to even have this conversation right now because mm-hmm. I want a hot pocket so bad, and it's all I'm thinking about. And if people have a little more money uh, because of their insurance rates being cut. They can try out one of Detroit's newest delicacies. 
Have any of you guys tried out Asian-style corned beef egg rolls? Never heard of it. I try it. No I try it, but said. I've never heard of it. You, so you guys you haven't tried say? it? No. All right, so this story comes from Metro Times. Don't judge me, food. Uh, there is a uh, restaurant looking to open up uh, on uh, 8 Mile, just uh, just west of Woodward. Uh, and it's an Asian-style corned beef restaurant. If you guys, um, which is not even that far away from where I know. All right, so on 8 Mile, there's a bunch of uh, dispensary-type places, right? Mm. So I, I've gone with my brother before down there. And when you're driving down 8 Mile, there's a whole bunch of corned beef egg rolls. It's like a new local food. It's like a staple food. Like we have our Coney's, we have our yeah. Detroit style pizza. Well, this is the new one that's really coming out, which is uh, corned beef egg rolls. Um, so why are they complaining? Oh, just because now it's moving that way and it's near Aiton Woodward, which since that's near Ferndale area, there's people, more people going there with money and rich people don't want that shit near them pretty much is what I'm probably assuming. So they, they don't, don't like fried food. Yeah. It's a scent issue is what they're claiming. I can only imagine. Well, actually, known for like, From what I remember I mean, reading, yeah. it was two things. It was it was a scent issue. Hey, we don't want all that processed corned beef happening. And it's also, those are kind of a rowdy spot. Like, that's not like bringing <laughs> in the most cultured folk in the area to come mm-hmm. eat like, Bunch you know. Bunch of Irishmen all coming down there yeah. to have themselves a wee bit of corned beef egg. No, never mind. So, <laughs> I, I don't know how you guys feel. Fuck that community. Like, I don't give a <laughs> shit. Like, if I, if I have the money to buy a restaurant... If I have a button to buy a building, the person wants to sell me that building. I'm building a restaurant. Let the free market decide if it should be there. Like, yeah. what you, like, what do you mean? Like, oh no, yeah, we don't want that shit around here. Well, okay, well then don't live there. Like, because the we whole point of this country, yeah. you could just ignore it. Yeah, just be like, oh yeah, we don't want to go there. Yeah, just God, that's just it's like, like when such... people complain about things that they don't like on TV. But why are you watching it? Yeah, <laughs> like oh, that's uh, it's music's the same yeah, thing same too. Thing, that's yeah. why I try to move away from like complaining about things like music because. It's the end of the day. Don't listen to it. Don't watch it. Don't pay attention to it. Like you know how like much you've heard people over the years complain about Justin Bieber. Yeah. You know how much Justin Bieber has like affected my life zero percent over my life. And the only thing is, you know, I like about him is he was in Zoolander too. Got killed. Yeah. Never saw it, but I do like that he was in, like in it. First five minutes. I didn't they know that. murdered him. Yeah. So someone who uh, I I would assume uh, supports this restaurant owner. I'm I'm being pretty good at transition. I don't know if you guys know that. <laughs> uh, the Trumbleplex turned 25. Uh, recently, they had a big party for it. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, Trumbleplex is an anarchist collective uh, that we have in the city down on Trumbull. Um, I've always known it just as a punk venue, well, like uh, you know, against me. I know uh, the lead singer of uh, Against Me played there uh, yeah, like a secret show a secret not too show long ago. Not too long ago, that's right. Yeah. we were talking about I that. But it's always just been a punk venue. Like, although you know, Strike Anywhere, No Effects, those bands come through and they'll play the Magic Stick. This was like the real where the real punks were. Like the mm-hmm. when the old Miami is it old Miami even still around? Yeah, no, I don't know. Is it is it yeah, still sure. around? Okay, nice. Well, that's like a punks bar. Well, this was like a punks venue. Man, it's like who the fuck is <laughs> as much as uh, as much as the old Miami was the punks place. It was still a locally regulated bar. Mm-hmm. The Trumbleplex was an anarchist collective. You know come there I, I always heard there were like chickens in the yard uh, I, i'll be honest i've never been to the trumbleplex this is kind of an admission it's like a oh. commune yeah i've yeah. never actually been to the trumbleplex i i've read about it i've heard about it but gotta, uh gotta pop your uh punk rock venue cherry yeah it just i feel like it's gonna i don't know how to say this i feel like it's gonna kind of smell in there right <laughs> i don't want to be mean it, about it, it but it's just you're like, assuming you things man it smells like it smells like a an old cabin it's like when I see le- like leftover crack. <laughs> Love leftover crack, right? They're uh, what is that called? Where you like just squatter, like a squatter punk mm. band, right? 
I just assume that pants smells like piss. I just like looking <laughs> at them, I assume they smell like piss. And I just got to assume that's the same thing there. Was that a squatters thing? Do you know? Were they originally squatters at the Trumbleplex and they've eventually like Yes. I remember it? hearing things really? about yeah. that, that it was a, a big homeless place. Yeah, that's that's what I thought too. And it's kind of just like from that despair, they've built this like local gem of a community, which mm-hmm. is pretty awesome. Um, you guys have any stories? Have you you've been to the Trumbleplex, right? You I've any uh, memorable stories? Anything memorable? Uh, it's just, I never went to a big event show, just, uh, open mic shows. And I always enjoy it because it's real people putting out their real raw art. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sit with her. Remember when she made you and jizz I your pants get to bring at the my own dance? Beer. No. <laughs> All right. Well, congrats to the guys who run the Trumbleplex. Um, I would love to make it out there sometime soon. Um, if we do, or if I do, I should say, I'm definitely going to talk about it on the show. Um, thank you guys. We will be back in just a moment with our episode four recap from the Venture Brothers. The Under Channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram now. Because you are the mighty f***ing monarch. You're a survivor. Just like your namesake. Every spring, these little guys migrate thousands of miles from Mexico to Canada. They average maybe 50 miles a day, but little by little, they get there. And in the fall, they pick themselves up and they make the long journey back. The the point is, you can do anything you set your mind to, because monarchs never quit. You're right. Thank you, honey bunny. Wish you could have met her when she was alive. She would have liked you. She talks like a boy, but she is a girl. <laughs> so that sound means it is time for our recap of episode four of The Venture Brothers season seven, The High Cost of Loathing. Loathing. The episode begins uh, with, uh, if you've just watched the Morphic Trilogy, uh, you have to pretend like you just watched it, right? Because the first thing you see, two months later. Uh, and it flashes to a ship in the middle of the ocean. It's a dream sequence. Yeah, it's a dream sequence. A sweet which dream you sequence. don't get revealed. It doesn't reveal that right away because what you see is the Monarchs crew, right, uh, with uh, number two, yep. right, uh, and they all have super technical high uh, high grade gear. Like, all right, so Tim, I'm not sure how much you you. I know we've talked a little bit about it, right? But the g- biggest running joke is that the Monarch sucks as a supervillain. Yeah. Right. I've seen enough. Where, yeah. Like I can Im- imagine what. Is going on in these new episodes? Yeah, but in this spoiler. in this part in this dream sequence, he's a badass. Like they're everyone's clicking on high sol- cylinders. Mm. They go in, they get you know they're knocking it out. Uh, and at the very end, it's funny. They're actually he's all he's stealing is uh, pomade for his eyebrows. That's what he wants. <laughs> and then it flashes to him being audited by. Uh, what's I don't the- want pop. God damn it! I'm a dapper Dan man. <laughs> that is like oh, his nice. version of like a. A mustache. Yeah, yeah, he he does it too. That is a, it is Dapper Dan they used to, which uh, is a great hand, reference. I think it's Handy Dandy or something. Oh, like that. is it? Yeah. It's, a, it's a rip. Uh, and then they flash to what is the Asian guy from the guild? Doctor Z. Doctor Z is giving him an audit, and he's basically, uh, I mean, after all these improvements, you're still kind of substandard uh, as well, as far as we would consider a supervillain. So we're gonna keep you as a class. I'm being five. generous. I'm going to say a five. So what do you think of the intro? I thought it was great. It was yeah. a sweet dream sequence. You get to see the monarch in like a, a full glory, uh, that sweet new hive. I know. You, then they jump in with all the henchmen, just like you said, I mean, just darting away at everybody. He opens up that hatch, finds what it, it looks like venture tech watches, 
you know, and then it ends up being like a sticker that says uranium, but it's not. It's hair product. But yeah, which is so strange. <laughs> it was a dream, though. So yeah. for for him, and he was having a problem. You could tell he was having the problem because when he comes out of the dream, his his eyebrows, eyebrows are just eyebrows messed up. Just, God, I, it's I actually not. It's actually knocked him a couple points because that's not villainous enough. Yeah. What caring about his eyebrows? Yeah. Yeah. You got to be wild man. You got to be Eugene Levy <laughs> on those eyebrows. Makes a difference. I always think of like badass like. Villains are like twirling their stash though. But one thing that was cool about it was you got to see his ultimate like costume that he has. Like his dream dream of like if I if everything could happen, this is what I would be. Yes. And uh it really was badass. It made me hope like at some point, I don't know how far ahead they have planned for the Venture Bros. But give me a season where that's the monarch, monarch they have to deal with. He's tried to use that suit before. He actually has that suit. Oh, really? Yeah. I can't remember. The paraplin something. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's just a disaster. <laughs> it just goes haywire on him. He's throwing up all over the place. He's spinning around in the sky. Yeah. So the, it, it ends with uh, Dr. Z giving him a, a, a rank five, which is, I don't know what the monarch, do you know what the monarch was initially? I think he was, he was a four. That's what we find out in the why there's a system speech okay. that he gives. So he... Uh, Guess who was riding the train? He goes, uh, a five after everything I've done. And, and this new <laughs> hive that I put in place, I'm only a five. And they poke it and it's inflatable. <laughs> like he had rented a giant inflatable hive just so he could have a higher ranking. Uh, Look, and that's then something flashes, you have to do, man. It flashes over to what was uh, the preview from last week, which is uh, Brock dropping uh, Dean off at college. That was a pretty cool little spot. Yeah. Comes ripping in there in Adrian's car, yeah. just donutting around the commons. Did you, as soon as they showed Serena, um, and I knew that they were going to work that angle, like as soon as I was like, why are they making it known that Widewell's daughter's going to this school? Oh, it's going to have to be something where there's going to be a little bit of a romance. Oh, between uh, her, Dean her and Dean, yeah. Because they had never made a reference to that before of them going to the same school, right? Yeah. So it was just such a random thing that like, Brock like whips in, right? He does a huge like uh, you know, w- wipe out spin and then it's like, "Oh, hi Serena." Like the uh, the main villain or one, a villain's daughter is just like walking by. So it's um yeah, I don't know. I I, I thought that was a little ham-fisted, but whatever. I, I I can I can give him the credit. It plays out. No, that they're totally going to that's foreshadowing something like between the, t- the Dean and Serena. I'm surprised they haven't done that cliche thing. Yeah. Yeah, they haven't had a chance because the Venture Brothers have been classic dorks the entire time. <laughs> Never touched a like finger just, on a girl. Well, Hank, we're going to give Hank some credit. Hank got laid. He was a, he was a yeah. rock star, right? Yeah, a couple seasons. No, it wasn't because of the rock star thing, but a couple seasons ago when they, we were finding out who Dermot was, yeah, his yep. other half-brother, Yep. <coughs> he got with uh, Dermot's mom. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, so Dean's getting dropped off at school. Uh, really funny scene. Uh, you know, Brock's talking to him, and uh, basically, uh, I'm so happy to finally be in school where I don't have to deal with any of this super science anymore, and I'm just really <laughs> excited to explore art and just find out a lot about myself. And Brock's like, your dad signed you up for like a shitload of science <laughs> classes. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like super bummed out, oh, which is funny because uh, he's he's emo Dean nowadays. <laughs> yep. I, and what I like, too, now that Dean is off to school, Hank is taking over the venture, Patty. He like yeah. takes his room and everything, and he's sorting everything out, and he puts two boxes up, and I caught him. I read him. It says uh, one is uh, dork supplies, and the other is virginity sweaters. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Was it his sweater vest? Yeah. 
So, Steve, I wanted to ask you. So, those are those are the two main storylines we have going on right now, right? Okay. There's the uh, the Hank, uh, the Hank with Wide Will's daughter. Now they're kind of bringing Dean into that foil, and then you've got the Monarch trying to earn back his right to Arch Doctor Venture. Okay. As somebody who's just getting to the show this year, which of those two storylines are you most interested in? Uh, the Monarch one. The Monarch one. I just feel like we've seen the college one. Like it's gonna be a love triangle probably in a couple episodes. So I, I just like to like I just want to see the monarch just completely mess up over and over again, just trying to yeah. get to that trying to get the is higher ranks. Easily the most lovable character, I think. Yeah, I'm. I I don't know if I wanted to talk about this this early because I I'm but I'm gonna say it out there because I think that I'm right about this. I think that the uh, the end of the venture, whatever it will be, uh, season ten, what season eleven, it will be Hank and Dean as arch enemies i think that's where it's going you're going to see one of them take the angle of a supervillain. one of them take the angles of super scientist and that will be and it may even be this may be the reason right yeah. if she takes if he takes her girlfriend his girlfriend if, if dean takes hank's girlfriend i don't know if that even their brotherhood could can get over that and i just don't see dean becoming a bad guy it's gonna to have to be hank so I, I don't know, that's just kind of a prediction of where I think the show is going. I could totally see that going though, just like history always repeats itself. Yeah. Uh, side, well, not really side story because fuck, he's the main main character of the show. Rusty Venture. Yeah, Rusty Venture. Uh, you know, Ventec is. I think they're going through some financial troubles right yeah, now. They're trying to get everything afloat, get the business going. And uh, so they're like, oh, we really need a new invention. So he comes up with those awesome ideas in the boardroom. Um, and uh, his plan is he's going to run and jump through a a glass window. Because he's developed a uh, a hover belt kind that he's gonna developed. you know uh, mass produce so that they can you know get get back on in floating again right. But what he doesn't know is he breaks through and a giant piece of glass gets lodged into his leg and cuts his fem- femoral artery and he ends up in a, like a coma in the hospital and he's just like floating there bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> but the belt works ish. The you best know. part about that part too of, of that scene is I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it was a complete remake of the hud sucker proxy uh it's a movie with tim robbins and basically it's the invention of the hula hoop mm. and the bo- the guy who runs the company he he just gets up on the table just like doc venture did and just runs out the fu- he this guy commits suicide though the guy before the what happens is the the ceo of the company where jumps out kills himself and then like we've got to find somebody to take the company over we got to find a real moron so we can just steamroll him for all the ideas that we have and they get tim robbins he's like the mailroom oh, nice. guy and tim robbins makes like the greatest invention ever the hula hoop it's it's a good nice. movie. If if you haven't seen the Hudsucker Proxy, hmm. I highly recommend the 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 Hudsucker Proxy. Uh, so the enabled uh, in order for the monarch to uh, raise his rank so he can go against Doctor Venture, um, he's got, he's got to get a little bankroll because uh, he as far as I know, there's no way for he's ever made any money in, in watching the show. He's never like he's gotten a been paycheck off of a trust fund. For oh, the that's part. right. Yeah, absolutely. They did say that, which is now overdrawn. Right. <laughs> so they show him going to the bank. He's there asking for a loan. Uh, but it's actually overdrawn, so his backup plan is to rob the bank. You know what's great? Before he starts to rob the bank, they tell us his last name. They do say that, yeah. That was, they snuck it in. Yeah, Vesperaldo, yeah. That was a good one. That, have you ever heard that in the show? No, I don't think I've ever heard the last name Yeah, before. so as far as I know, remember they revealed his first name? Malcolm. Malcolm Vesperado. Vesperaldo. That's a pretty cool name, actually. That's not bad. Mm. All right, but uh, obviously in pure monarch fashion, he is immediately foiled by a clone of Spider-Man called Brown Widow. the Brown Widow. 
you guys looking to see who does the voice? Nathan Fillion. Yeah, Nathan. I Fillion. knew it immediately. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I thought that was fantastic. Character's been in it before. Yeah, the character of he he uh, he's been in it for a couple seasons now. He actually played Rusty Venture in Rusty Venture's musical that Rusty wrote about his life. The first because that's super meta, Aaron. Because <laughs> Dean Venture goes to intern for Professor Impossible in New York City in uh, I think season four, mm-hmm. and so Dad Venture Rusty decides he's gonna go take a look and see how he's doing with all his super science stuff and he and he barters in on him and hey, dean's living in like a crap apartment he's like i'm just gonna write a musical while i'm here and he starts writing it and stuff and that guy brown widow hears it and he's like he starts singing along with it and everything so he ends up using him for his musical <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so at this point uh dean has uh, gone into the see the dean of sciences he's trying to drop some of the classes that uh his father signed him up for and you meet his I'm assuming it's kind of be like a mentor, I'd assume. Like that's kind of one of yeah, the reasons I was they... starting to see. Like I think Dean will end up taking the super science route, is because this guy's role as a mentor. Yeah, Professor uh, V von Helper. Yep. So he is. Um, what you end up finding is he's actually the new arch for the monarch, and he is the uh, the what son of five. What was his name? Do you remember the name of the fa- actual father? Yeah, Vigo von Hellfire. Vigo von Hellfire, uh, which. The guy looks like a super nerd when you're watching him. Traditional professor until the monarch shows up to try to stop him, yeah. and you find out that he is a uh, a metal, almost like a metal Doctor Manhattan who can shoot fire like at will yeah, out of his like body. Messed up in a Dang. experiment that his dad was doing. Yeah, he lost about eighty five percent of his body. Yeah, I love those child experiments your dad does. <laughs> what happens when your dad's super scientist? That's why Dean wants nothing to do with it. <laughs> What, what do you life. what do you think of that so far? Like when when they introduced the because you're talking you like the monarch storyline, right? Yeah. What do you think when they introduced his arch in the, in the fashion they did? I just thought it was hilarious. They're like, oh yeah, he's just a human. Let's kick him in the balls. <laughs> oh wait, that's metal. Oh, yeah. what's going on? They were so dramatic the way they like burst into the room like they were really gonna kick some ass. Yeah. And then he like no. goes to hit him and it yeah he's like ding and you realize that he's just got an entire uh, metal body. That's where the the dean and the Serena. Yeah, that's that's where you exactly, start thinking yep. about it. Yep. And then uh, Serena's like, God, you guys are embarrassment. You're like a yes. negative three. <laughs> you really did rip it's on like, the monarch. Yeah, because she's like, I grew up with nines around my house. And it's like, <laughs> you guys are like negative three. That was good. I, they, I didn't react to it like I hope they did. Like she said it, they could have uh, reacted uh, to it a little yeah. bit. Oh, uh, they, they, they probably heard it all before. <laughs> Is the school he goes to like a school where... It's a regular college. Regular? Oh, I thought like just like NYU. A, a lot of like the villains and it just happen to be it's New scientists? York. It's a huge yeah. area. Happenstance. Is, is it yep. like villains and scientists that are always? Arching? It's kind of in that frame, yeah. For the most, because there's not really traditional Heroes. good guys from what I've seen. Yeah, well, I mean, there's the Captain America who is playing guitar to the stars giant and garters. Yeah, there are some traditional superheroes, but they're superheroes in the vein of you remember the Tick cartoon? Yeah, they're like that. <laughs> like they're kind of like. Offbeat clones of superheroes you yeah. would know that are yeah, more realistic. Spider-Man yeah. Guy. yeah, so that Stars and Garters guy was singing to uh, Think Tank, who's the professor. It's actually Dean Venture's professor from season six, and that guy was arching Doctor Venture. He was one of the people mm. who, who had to arch Doc Venture in season six. Gotcha, because that was a big reveal when that guy was in the same yeah, room as the them. Room so they're gonna have a. What was, do you remember that movie where like the two enemies are in the hospital room together and they're like yelling at each other across the room? 
At first, I was thinking I couldn't remember. There's another movie, but then I was thinking of Days of Thunder. Remember when Tom Cruise and the guy they get in the car accident <laughs> yeah. and they like do the race and the, the wheelchair yeah. race. I hope they That's they spoof that scene. That would yeah. be great. Get some Nicole Kidman in there. Oh, with the uh, was she the uh, she the was, cop uh, the stripper cop that they Damn hire? It. I need to find out. I gotta watch Days. It's a great again. movie. I also noticed that Dean also wrote a check to Marnock for a million dollars. It's like, Solved all right, just please problem. get out of my life. Of I don't want life. this. Yeah, that was a fantastic, uh, good plot because. Uh, another part they're trying to build this wedge between the two brothers right and that what uh dr venture said is hey i will bankroll you if you go to school clown school does not count you know he wanted to go to clown school <laughs> clown school doesn't count so if you don't want to do that you have to get a job get out there well, and get a job he's a super scientist so he's got millions and millions of dollars so that's how kind of how they end the episode is uh is dean basically pulls out his checkbooks and says what do i have to give you to just get the fuck out of my life yep. And ends up being a million dollars. He's like, oh, really? I didn't really think you would accept yeah. it. But the monarch really needs money <laughs> yep. so he can start arching Dr. Venture. Yep. And uh, Serena ends up kind of impressed that he took it in kind of a uh, adult way. And yeah, she kissed him on the cheek, and then he got a boner. I throw money, money at my problems, Yeah, that's baby. a big one. Yeah, I like that. That way he... he <gasps> his reaction to having an <laughs> erection. <laughs> he kind of knew. He's like, oh, crap, I like her. Yep. Uh, and then the end of it, uh, we... Close the episode off with uh, the monarch receiving a gift from Dr. Z. Aaron, you want to let everyone know what it was? Oh, yeah. You know what it was. Well, I don't want pop, goddammit. It was a nice I'm a Dapper Dan, can man. of pomade. Yep. As indicating, uh, congrats on your job. I, I don't understand how it was a good thing that he got paid off. I really didn't understand like what he had done that well, was so good. he made a million good. dollars. He's got to pay guild dues. So, I mean, imagine he, he a percentage of what he did. didn't does. really make a million dollars. He... <laughs> He was he made, he a million a, dollars he, to go he away. Made a it doesn't dollars. matter. It's a million dollars. A million I dollars. I, I'm interested to see if they if they if the story he gave to the guild of where that money came from is different than what you find out. Like if he's living a lie where he's like, and then I stole a million dollars from him. Yeah. Because it does. I don't think they give knows? him a. Yeah. He, yeah. he could have gone anyway with the yeah. story. But Nobody knew what happened. Finally, he is eight. He's a rank six, so he's moving up. I'm really excited for that storyline where we get to see. Uh, the monarch work his way back up yeah. uh, to. You think by the end of seven, it, are him and Venture rivals again? Want to make a prediction on that, it's or you think close. they're going to carry it over? Because you know they're going to end up having to play the their brothers. Yeah, they're going to have to play that part of the storyline. Yeah, it, I don't know. We'll see. Because I I liked how they like you said they closed it out where Doctor Z was like, "Hey, here's a shine of uh, hey, you're doing a good job, kid." Yeah. Because before. <laughs> When he was there doing his audit, and he looked at his henchman army of like those six guys he picked up from like the Home Depot or something, he's like, <laughs> "Taylor Swift rolls with a scarier crew than this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they after disappointing me with last week's episode, the end of the Morphic trilogy, they did a really good job of opening the season back up to me. I like, thought this was a great start. I, I this was actually the first episode I truly enjoyed from start to finish. Yeah, it reminded me what Aaron said last week, where it's like you know the Morphic trilogy really felt more like of a cap off to season six than a start to season seven. Because if this there had been no Morphic trilogy, and it was just um, this was the start of it. Would it be any different, really? Like, the Morphic Trilogy actually had no bearing on anything that's going on. Yeah. Uh, as far as we know. But, I don't know. I'm like, I'm excited. Uh, excited for episode five next week. Yeah, they left yeah. a couple of things in that episode to kind of wonder about. Because Hank opens up his Airbnb. Yep. And then... <laughs> with the Germans? Yeah, with the Germans. Will Coleman. And then, but Sergeant Hatred and, and Brock going after him. Because they didn't about know that. anybody yeah. was there. And you just hear him guns a-blazing and stuff. So, I'm like, oh, I wonder what that... How like they don't always play off storylines and make things happen, but 
They're dead. But Brock Brock is such an important character to not actually have a storyline going four episodes into the season. It's true. Technically. Like really what is Brock's doing right now? Yeah, he's <laughs> He's ripping on it because when they go, they go to visit uh, Doc Venture in the hospital, and he's, like, "What are you supposed to be doing?" He's, he's like, "I'm his bodyguard. I'm supposed to stay by his side." Where were you then? I was taking Dean to school. Yeah. He's like, "What? What about you?" He's like, "Well, I'm the security guard." <laughs> yeah. What are you guarding? And he just flashed a helper freaking out with the gun <laughs> in the lobby. In the lobby, holding everyone up. <laughs> and then, um, Brock, and then Brock's like. I ain't buying a guy. You just gave him so much morphine or just <laughs> knocked him that. right out. Oh, yeah, because he's like, he wants him to hang out with him. He's like, oh, yeah. no, just give this guy drugs so I'd never have to deal with him. <laughs> yeah, they did, they did some nice stuff. Another one that I liked, too, in that episode that was pretty funny was when he first drops off Dean at the and he goes into his dorm room and you see the naked brown widow, like, playing with, like, that his his white his uh spider web postule on his back okay all right is that what that was was going on yeah oh see i had no idea he was the brown widow yeah that's the brown widow yeah Mm. it's just his roommate yeah i assumed it was like an adult like he is an adult superhero i don't know i had no idea yeah okay that's cool that's an interesting foil they got got a lot of neat little things going on i just like that brock's like were you fucking that (laughs) <laughs> do you do you think that um, the one class that Dean um, is keeping uh, was referenced was botany? Botany. Do you think that's going to play at all, or do you think that was just kind of a throwaway? Like, uh, is he going to become a? No, it's a throwaway. Uh, I think it's a throwaway in the end. I don't think it's uh, going to turn into anything else. Anything last uh, last to say about this episode, guys? No, just looking forward to next week. Yeah, me too. See you guys next week. The Underchannel, subterranean entertainment. Time to unplug and sink in. I'm joined this week by former drummer of the Swellers, current frontman of Baggage, and the organizer behind the upcoming comic anthology, uh, Hope, a comic for Flint, uh, John Diener. Uh, John, thank you for being on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I want to start off, we'll talk a little bit about the Swellers uh, before we get into what you're working on currently. So uh, you were in the band for uh, over a decade. Were, were the Swellers your first band? Um, It was definitely my first real band. Uh, my brother and I have been playing music since we were like nine to ten years old. Oh, wow. Uh, and then like the only other bands before that like probably played like a handful of shows and like a talent show or something uh, when I was in middle school. So nothing very substantial, but uh, the Swellers was the first one. I think I was a freshman in high school when we started. Oh yeah. It's still relatively and, uh, young. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I said you yeah, were still relatively young at that age, you know, cons- yeah. considering that would be the band that, you know, took off or, you know, that you were with for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I was 14. So it was one of those things where, I mean, things moved along pretty quickly just because, like, we had the... Oh, sorry. I see my coffee. No, you're good. Sorry. (laughs) I interrupted myself like, ooh, coffee, (laughs) which is most of my conversations with anyone all the time. (laughs) Um, So anyway, uh, yeah, so I was 14 when we started, and because we had, like, the brothers in the band, like, the chemistry was already there, like, we were used to each other, and there wasn't any, like, growing pains as far as sonically. Um other than, you know, just overall maturity and the stuff we listened to. But, like, we didn't have to go through, like, confusing member changes and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, it went from 
being super young and then that's why the name is the swellers because it technically meant nothing it was just a cool sounding name (laughs) yeah when how long would you say into the band did you guys start to you know get a little buzz where you were playing outside of uh you know metro detroit or uh, southeastern michigan um so we were like only a flint band initially Mm. um because like we're still like an hour from detroit yeah so uh when we were starting out it was just like we play the flint local 432 which is our local venue and then we would like you know play random weird places and like suburbs and all that kind of stuff um but we started noticing it at our local venue first and the music scene was like thriving in flint for a while like it was just a very eclectic group of bands so it wasn't based on genre because we were the only band that sounded like us there weren't any absolutely like, yeah when i've looked at like pop punk bands yeah flint bands i think of you know, you know, at the very least, a little grittier than what you guys were offering up. You know, I can't think of too many, like, yeah, like you said, pop punk bands. So, yeah. And like, it was kind of cool getting to be that band. Um, <laughs> but it was also to us more exciting because we could play with like, like a traditional screamo band and a metalcore band and a ska band and the show would make sense, you know, like yeah, that's what made absolutely. it fun. Nice. Uh, I guess, uh, throw this in there uh you know this is the last touring year of uh warp tour and i know uh the band had been featured on warp tour before um any you know fond memories or thoughts on the end of the touring version of that um give me one second while i get into a van oh yeah you're good answer stories about it. <laughs> okay i'm sitting in the very back of my buddy's van <laughs> nice so conveniently ready to talk about touring in a van. um we had i'm trying to figure out how to wear this we had a very memorable time on that um i think it definitely ran its course and like a lot of cool stuff was done and a lot of questionable stuff was done uh but that's you know that's anything with age that kind of thing happens um but it was definitely like for us when we played um we played the Battle of the Bands in Detroit, like one of the, man, like sorry, I'm blanking car- on the year. Clutch Cargo's one or something like that? Well, we did the Warp Tour one. Oh, it was okay. Like, oh, it's, yeah, yeah. Specifically, they did a Warp Tour one, yeah. Yeah, so it was like 2004 or something like that, and it was the Ernie Ball Battle of the Bands, and we did one year, and it was really cool, and then we sent our stuff to Ernie Ball, like, just like being little kids like hey like could you endorse us like we don't know what's going on <laughs> and they replied yes we liked your song you submitted wow. and we we're like what and we we're like okay so like early on that was like our first endorsement like a big company like backed us then the next year they're like do you guys want to play again and you can pick the bands that you play with mm. so we got all flint bands to play it nice. which is awesome and like that was when that was like a really special stage to a lot of people too so we had like this again a super eclectic group of people playing that like normally wouldn't play shows like that you know yeah yeah, Um, definitely and then from there like we developed like a better relationship with ernie ball my brother and i got to pick the bands for all the battle of the bands like most people don't know that like for like it was like two or three years we were the ones that picked every single winner oh Um, wow and like they like hooked us up with the random stuff so we were always like super loyal to them and vice versa yeah, so that, like that's awesome. To me, Balls is like one of those like, bigger brands that you know I, I feel like I've they've represented the punk rock kind of music scene well. Like 
I've never really heard anything negative about about the brand. Yeah, and like we got to like know like not only the owner but the owner's son, and now the owner's son is like the new owner, Brian Ball. Mm. Um, and like we just have a lot of cool history with them, um, and they were always super supportive too. But that's what made it fun. Like to me, our good Warp Tour experiences were because of Ernie Ball. And then once you get into like the inner workings of things, uh, it's also part of me because I had Burmese food for the first time and a bunch of coffee. So I'm going to be real gassy for this. (laughs) Um, So like there was a lot of really bizarre things going on with that tour where I remember waking up at like seven in the morning and I would like go unload all of our stuff through what felt like a mile hike because we didn't have like crew people. It's just us doing it. And we have these like big drum cases and all this stuff just so we could like carry everything at once. And then we'd unload that. We'd set up our merch tent, wherever it was where you had to like fight for a good spot. Then you got the schedule, which you all had to like grab as fast as you can. So you could start posting the promotion, like the time for everything. Cause yeah, it changed that, every single day. That is just such the most bizarre part of warp tour is yeah, like, Oh, oh, like not only, you know, big bands playing super early, like why, you know, why are you watching, you know, bands on major labels play at 1230 in the afternoon? And then you've got, you know, smaller bands, which they should, you know, then you're going to have them lined up against bands they really shouldn't be playing against because then you're going to, you know, you're hurting bands with less potential, you know, for their new audiences. Yeah. And like we had uh, some weird, like, the idea of it is cool, but it's like definitely like more harmful to a lot of bands. Yeah. So a big one for us was, uh, and this is like, I, d- I don't remember if it was the last year we did it or like the second year or something like that. Like, and this is as like doing like the full tour and everything. Um, we were in, we had two days in Pomona, California. We were so excited. And we're like, this is going to be amazing. And then the first day where we're like, there's like kind of like whispers that like we might be getting like a bigger stage mm. and we're like, Oh hell yeah. Like finally, like we've been <laughs> on the tour for years. Like we finally deserve it. And it wasn't a bigger stage. It was the local stage in Pomona, California, which is an unmarked platform with only local bands. And then us. Oh, that's so bizarre. And we were like, what the hell? And they didn't even have cabs. Like we, went on the tour without guitar cabs because they were like backlined on the Ernie ball stage. Mm. Like all, they had all the stuff you need. Uh, so we had to borrow black Dahlia murders, guitar cabs <laughs> just to even play our set. Cause wow. they're like Michigan guys too. So we know them forever. And like, it, so it's like that kind of camaraderie out of the, and like, it's like you're in war together, you know, where you're like, you make friends you never thought you would have had just because you're like, this is weird, right? Yeah. And like, let's stick together. Cause we'll probably, we'll, we're going to die without it. Um, so we did that show and like we, as usual had to promote like 50 times harder because no one knew where we were playing and we had all the odds against us. Like that was kind of the story of our band do more work because no one's going to give a shit or help you out. Um, so the set was fine, but it wasn't like, the LA show of California fine. It was just like, we made it through whatever. So then the second day they're like, okay, they're for sure hooking you guys up at the big stage. We're like, <laughs> thank God. Our stage time was 1130 as oh, doors open. And not only was it like 
a cool stage. It was the cool stage on the other side of the whole lot. So the door would open. One kid would run because they'd hear music, which is us. We'd mm-hmm. be the very first band playing. And by the time we finished, we had like 16 kids watching us on this humongous <laughs> stage. And like it was people like sl- like slowly piling it. And then by the time our set was done, there was a line of people. Yeah, because you're only given 20 minutes, so you know every, exactly you get to see the end of your set. Oh wow, maybe I'll maybe I'll catch them next time they're through California. So it, it, yeah. That's the other thing. Like, not only are you playing for 20 minutes, you're competing with all your friends. Like everything about it was just odd. So yeah, did you? <laughs> like, I so did you guys end up? Was it a mutual thing where you stopped doing Warp Tour, or did you kind of just figure out, hey, if if we're going to be out touring, we might as well you know take it a little more into our own hands and play the shows we want to play. Uh, well, we, I mean, we tried doing it every year, like, cause for us, it was like a good, like we can make a lot of money cause we hustle all the time. Yeah. That's like what you, like when you have like thousands of people with like their parents' money in their wallet, <laughs> like that's, you know, the perfect like platform for that. And in addition to it, like, it's like being in a magazine ad, like the real life version of it where you're like walking through crowds of people holding a sign, you know? So like I wanted to do it every year. Uh, and then it got to the point where like we realized that it was only because Ernie Ball was hooking us up, not because Warp Tour wanted us or anything oh, like that. Yeah. And it like there's just like a lot of like weird like inner working stuff like that. Um so yeah, we didn't choose to not play it anymore. We just ended up breaking up anyway. <laughs> mm. Well, aside from, you know, playing playing the swellers, you also, you know, dabbled in some journalism over the years. Uh you you know, doing some writing for noisy. Was that something that was always interesting to you? Like uh, I guess journalism or specifically music journalism. Uh, well, for me, like I didn't willingly go into it. So I was doing blogs for our band, like back in the MySpace days. Mm. Uh, so on like since our very first tour, um, I was doing a post every single day of the tour. Like here's a bunch of photos I took, and here's the write up of what happened that day, and like all our inside jokes and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of started getting a following, which was really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and then I realized that I was accidentally just writing articles. <laughs> like I was like creating content like before that was like a thing everyone did. Um, so I was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. So then I kept doing that. And then uh, when that site property is Zach was around, I asked if I could do some stuff for them and then absolute punk and like all this kind of stuff. Like it was starting to like build up to where I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm that guy who's like willing to write about stuff, but no one else would normally, you know, either write that kind of stuff or know that you can, you know? Um, and then when noisy was starting, uh, their editor, the guy that was like kind of launching it, Dan Ozzy hit me up and it was like, Hey, we're like having a few people work on this. I want like you and like Chris Farron and some other people to be like the writers for it. Like, yeah, awesome. And it was going to be like drumming specific stuff at first. And then it started, you know, evolving from there, but it was, it was fun. Um, like I, I wish I could do more. And like, I, I was completely untrained, but I started getting the hang of it eventually. Yeah, it's a, I, it's I a feel skill. Like... Some people forget that. I mean, drawing, writing, any of that stuff. At the end of the day, it's just a skill. I mean, not saying you'll ever be, you know, a master at it, but you can get, you know, proficient enough to to do, uh, accomplish what you'd like. Yeah, exactly. They're trusting me in the van alone. It's so cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. Did you? So other than writing for the sites, did you keep any other kind of record of your travel over the years? Like, did you, you know, keep a track, keep track of? Because you guys were road dogs forever. Did you keep track of all the shows you played? Or, you know, just write down 
uh, the date and the, the bill or anything like that? Or was it mostly just uh, whatever you would published out on the websites? So what sucks is like we started like that. And part of the reason like we were getting like cool tours and uh, like label or pardon me, a label was talking to like Fuel by Ramen was the first one that hit us up. Um, we had like this extensive tour history. So initially when we were like reaching out to people, we sent out like a two sentence email and we were just like, Hey, uh, we're interested in putting out a new album and we would love to work with you. Here's our tour history. And then it was like this word file of like 25 pages full of dates and like a super small font. Yeah. Did you so guys used like, to have that on your website? I feel like uh, I, I remember seeing like, I just remember like being young and going to your website. It may have been like one of the years you were on warp tour and like seeing, I was like, wow, this band plays a lot of shows. Yeah. It was something like that. Like, I think we like had like a tour history up there for a mm. little bit. And then once like everything shifted and like band camp became the normal thing, like that and bands in town, which is like the new yeah, one, bands in town. like that's usually like all of our records of it, I guess. Mm. So like in the last few years, we kind of just got lazy because we were touring so much. We just like, well, I don't even want to keep count anymore. And like bands like, uh, like Frank Turner and the Lawrence arms, they like announced the number of the show they play every time they play a show. Mm, that's cool. And, and like, I was like, man, we could have been that. Like we definitely played over a thousand shows. Wow. Like, easy um and like i don't know if you ever hear about the whole like ten thousand hours thing which is like how you develop like actual talent and blah 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 it's like a theory this yeah, guy has come to become um, a master do do something for ten thousand hours yeah. yeah and like they talk about how like the beatles did that and that kind of stuff like our band like kind of did that on accident like mm -hmm. we weren't trying to do that so we were just so used to like well we're gonna leave 10 months out of the year so you know, we can't really have real jobs and should we have band practice? We're like, no, like the first day will be our band practice, you know? Yeah. So like it got to the point where like we weren't even meeting up to have practice. We just toured so much. We didn't have to, you know, oh, that's all. I mean, life as a professional musician, right? I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. It's most people don't practice their job, you know? So yeah. <laughs> we always think of music as uh, so much of a craft. You forget that. And a lot of times it's, you know, putting your hard hat, hard hat on and going to work. So, yeah. And like, the I guess in retrospect, you know, we all talk about it still. Like, there are a lot of things that we wish we didn't take for granted because, mm. like, we'd be in like these really cool places or these cool towns or whatever. But like, when it gets to a certain point, you're just like, dude, I haven't eaten in so long. Like, <laughs> so bummed out, and like we're in the middle of this weird town that's like a warehouse district, and there's nowhere to go. And it was always like that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and like, I just remember, you know, being all bummed out about that kind of thing because, like. Like to the point where like we were in Europe so much that like like you want to go wander around and be like no I'm good man <laughs> like really or like yeah I'm just tired dude and then like now like going out with bands like No Trigger like they do a lot of international stuff and I'll fill in for them and we'll go for like a walk every day like it's like the event of the day because all of us aren't like constantly touring mm. and now we appreciate all the stuff we missed out on. So like the singer will like pull up like all the points of interest. And he's like, we doing this We're like, yup. And then all of us just like follow him wherever. But like, that's like, it's kind of nice seeing that like back and forth where it's like, I remember being the bitter, well, I'm still kind of like the bitter jaded dude, <laughs> but like when I was on the road doing it and not appreciating it, 
versus being bitter and jaded because I'm not doing it. And then when you get to, you experience it so much more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it, you know, it's such a a thing that most people will never get an opportunity to. It's like you don't want to look back and be like, "Wow, I really wasted like something that somebody would give their life to go out and travel the world and like do something they love." So, I'm glad to hear that you guys are, you know, really kicking ass now when you're out there. Yeah, we're we're trying. Nice. Uh so what I guess uh share the details on the end of the swellers, like what kind of uh you know, caused the band to, you know, end um, it was one of those things where like all of us just kind of felt like an awkwardness happening to where like people wanted to tour less and less. People were starting families, people were moving. Um, like the shows were fine, but we stopped getting big tours. We were having to be the headliners of the tour, but we ourselves didn't draw that much. So then in addition to all that, like, trying to even find cool opening bands for us was hard because they were taking all the cooler tours. So like we couldn't even get cool openers, let alone get on bigger tours. Mm. Uh, so like that kind of stuff started happening. And like, we all just felt like, well, our time's done. Like we had a few really rad years and then like a bunch of stuff around that. Um, and like post, like we had a bunch of like troubles with our manager at the time. And like, that that was a whole weird one for us. Like it was no one's specific fault, uh, but a big part of it was just like a lot of miscommunication, a lot of situations that could have been handled differently, and I feel like we would have been in a totally different place. But like when you're in it and you're like hungry for more and all that kind of stuff, like the second you hit like a major roadblock, which I kind of felt like when our uh, the album that the best I ever had was on, uh, it's called good for me to us. We were like, Oh my God, here's our like arena rock moment. Like this is going to be so awesome. Mm. And then it was fine. And then it was super hard to like get cool tours. And we're like, what's going on? Like, this is weird. And then like the label was hiring or like getting all these like huge bands. And we were kind of just like the other band. So like through like, our management and all these other people that like told us about it. We are like, well, we should probably get off the label, I guess. Like they're not going to miss us, but like, you know, I don't know if it'll be a mutually beneficial thing or what. So we did. And then that's where stuff got really weird because like they were super cool letting us go. Uh, but what we didn't know is instead of getting to like shop to a bunch of other labels, there was like specific ones that were being targeted for us. And we didn't know that was happening. Uh, Like a lot of conflict of interest kind of stuff going on. So that kind of just like killed the momentum of our band. So a lot of the like underdog stuff started coming back where we were like, yo, like we got this cool opportunity and then we wanted to leave it. And then in addition to that, like all of us are just to quote Danny Glover, uh, getting too old for this shit. (laughs) And uh, we were just getting, like, exhausted and constantly going out and doing all this stuff. It was harder to get to do that stuff because no one, like, wanted to really support our band. Um, so then finally we were just like, eh, it is what it is. Like, people were less excited about taking tours every single time. And I'm, like, dying for it because I had to get a job at Guitar Center and, like, mm. you know, do what I can to, like, make touring part-time work rather than touring full-time. And then 
like that was a huge humbling thing for me too where i was like oh this is what literally everyone in the world feels like like i was lucky to have been able to tour nonstop, you know so did you ever did you ever like feel like it was almost a stereotype like oh traveling musician into you know guitar center like it just felt like I, I oh, let it, me let me add one on there. Yeah. Uh, I was in a cover band for a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> like it was one of the most depressing moments where I'm the drummer who literally was like traveling the world and then having like weird like dads talk down to me that I didn't know anything about drums. And then I remember like the moment that like any of my ego just completely disappeared. I was at a house it was a house show in Flint and this kid was like, Hey, I, I know you. I'm like, Oh, cool. He's like, yeah, you sold my stepdad a cowbell. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, it's over. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. Yeah. But, but it's one of those things where it's like, I, not that I'm like punishing myself, but I feel like I needed to experience real life so bad because I had so many things easy. And like, I definitely worked for the things, but like getting to see like what a retail job is like, what service industry is like, which I'm doing now, like doing coffee stuff, like a lot of it's miserable and people have a very different opinion on others mm. because they have to serve the general public, you know? So like the more we would go out and tour, I would crave it more. But the other guys were like, well, I'm making more money doing this other stuff. Why are we going out? And I'm like, no, please. Yeah. So, so, uh, well, since you guys, you know, I see you, you broke up in 2015. Um, have you guys, uh, done anything since or have there been murmurs about you know maybe doing some reunion shows have you guys thought about any of that stuff um the only other thing we did was we put a song on the not safe to drink compilation i put out um so it was like a posthumous song that like nick pretty much wrote most of and then was just like you want to just record this and just at least it's for charity so here's this like it was like a six or eight minute song or something like yeah sure and like that came out and like you know, definitely helped their compilation and stuff like that. Um, but other than that, like not really any real talks or anything mm. like, uh, I talked on a different podcast about it, how there's always the expectations. Like, oh, like the 10 year anniversary of ups and downsizing is coming out. Like that'd be amazing. Blah, 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 blah. But like the amazing timing of that happening is when four of these bands that we used to tour with are all getting back together. I can't say a few of the names, uh, but it's like, we would just get buried again. Like we were back in the day. Mm. Like we were always the other band. We were never like the cool band. And it would be great to one day be like, Hey, I really miss you. Like, I can't wait for you to come back. But like, we'll see tweets all the time where it's like, Oh man, I wish these 15 bands would come back. And then we'd be like second to last. Oh. I'm like, dude, that's like, that is our band in a nutshell. Like we were always like just the other band that people remembered. So like if we did it, I don't want to half-ass it, you know. Yeah, like, absolutely. I like Nick had a kid. Ryan's married. Like I want to, like we have to make it count if we did something. Uh, we just don't know when the timing is right because like right now I'm focusing on baggage, which is my number one priority, and then I'm also like filling in for the early November and no trigger, and then in between that I have braided vein stuff going on. But like if I could, I would be doing like baggage full time and then the tie-in of what the podcast is about like writing comics full time which is something i like recently got into Mm. so it's it's definitely like 
it, it would be a cool, easy fix to things, but there's so much added weight to it that people don't realize that I don't want to be one of those bands that's just like, oh, yeah, we'll do it too. Yeah. Because then we're just another like reunion band. It's like Arrested Development season four where you're like, huh. Yeah. How, back. how much glory is there in being like everybody's favorite afterthought? Right. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah it'd be great if all these bands got together. Oh, man. And, and if they threw the swellers in, that would be great. But, you know, yeah, you might like as well people do it were when... like, they're like, dream bookings were us opening for other bands like, <laughs> that. that's so brutal that's funny that's yeah like, it's like it's funny because people don't really understand it's like it's not insulting but it's like it, you know it's just got kind of a weird a weirdness to it so yeah um, like it, well, it just sucks the special out of it i guess yeah. that's like the best way to put it yeah because uh, so like I, okay. and like i'm very realistic about it like i understand like the size our band would be like when we broke up like we were selling out venues for the first time because mm-hmm. we were breaking up, you know? Right. So, like, it would be cool. Like, when I got to see uh, Refuse on their comeback tour. That's great. And when they broke up, they played the, like, 12 people in a basement. And then I saw them play at uh, Gros Rock in Belgium to 22,000. Wow. <laughs> so I'm like, huh. How, I, I how know, long like, was that between they broke when they broke up and they uh, got back together? That was like, was it? 15 or 20 years right. i don't know not, not too much but longer like, you guys have yeah <laughs> yeah we're, we're at uh three years right yeah. now so yeah. um but th- that's the other thing too it's just like the timing of it where like we did like a whole year of breakup tour stuff and uh everyone's like oh yeah right but like they're just like doubting it like every band comes back and i'm like i don't even know if you're excited for us or you're like just thinking that we're gonna like wuss out and come back yeah, <laughs> like, like... I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Well, we're about to talk about the comic, but I had asked you to pick out your favorite Sweller song, uh, and you chose Becoming Self-Aware. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that song? Yeah. Um, so I wrote about half of the Sweller songs, and that was one of the ones I wrote the majority of. Um, like, that was what people would consider a Jono song. <laughs> and to me, not only, like, sonically did it, uh, hit bands like Oscar, which was like one of my favorite bands. They were like a cool melodic punk band that, again, were overlooked by a lot of people. Um, but I got back from a tour, had a really like weird breakup, broke up via a Skype call from Germany, Ooh. and then had a week home uh, between two tours. I think I was actually coming out with the early November when I got back, which is hilarious, like with the Swellers. And uh, so I broke up like a week before I got home, then I had a week home. So because my ex was moving out of the apartment, uh, I just did couch surfing with friends for a week. Like I pretty much continued my tour with like heavy quotes. Um, and each day I stayed at a different person's house and kind of got like perspective of their situation, who I was. And I like to the point where like, I just knew I couldn't go home. So I went to like a park in Flint with an acoustic guitar on my phone and just like recorded mostly what came out as that song. Mm, that's so, awesome. It's cool. It's a, I don't want to say it's a cool story cause it sounds uh, pretty miserable at the time, but, <laughs> but um, I mean like that, that's my new perspective on everything where the song is very literally, you know, you're becoming self-aware, you're understanding who you are in the world around you. And I think it kind of has an, important message even if it is like hyper specific to me i think a lot of people can relate yeah let's go ahead and we're gonna spin that right now i can see 
So why don't you give us an overview on the uh, Hope, uh, a comic for Flint project? So I forgot exactly when it was now. It was months ago. Uh, so I've been into writing comics. Um, I've been a fan of reading comics for a long time. And I have a bunch of friends and peers and like people from music world that are crossing over. So like, for example, Matthew Rosenberg, uh, he put out Polar Bear Club's first record and like a Strike Anywhere EP. And now he's like the X-Men writer for Marvel. Wow. Uh, Max Bemis from Say Anything writes Moon Knight and like did a bunch of big things for Marvel. That's really and interesting. I started. It, it's wild. Like, like when I started like picking up on this stuff, I'm like, what's happening? This is crazy. And then I thought about it and I'm like, this is just the logical extension of the art behind music. So you're, you're creating stories, which are like lyrics, and then you're creating the visual identity, which would be like the album artwork and all that kind of stuff. But that's just the artwork for the story you created, you know? So I was like, this is all of like some of my favorite stuff that we did. Why, why am I not doing it? So anyway, the more comics I read, the more I wanted to write. And uh, I was looking at, there's a, a comic anthology called Love is Love. And it was uh, made to benefit all the victims, families of the Pulse shooting in Orlando. Oh, and yeah. it's, so the whole thing is just talking about, it's different stories of love, like, and talking about like the LBGTQ community. Wow, sorry. And uh, I always my brain tries to reverse stuff. It's a whole thing. So anyway, um, LGBTQ community, there we go. And, uh, it's just literally any type of story of love. And I thought that was like a super powerful thing. And they got these massive names and comics and literature to come out and do this thing for a really good cause. And I was just like looking that at my shelf and I was just thinking about how messed up everything's been in Flint and, then I started thinking about all of my creative friends that were kind of in the same position as me where we're in like weird dead end jobs and we're kind of just bummed out. And we all wish that we could like complete something, but we don't have time or money or whatever. So I started like trying to put two and two together and I was like, okay, well, I always like charity stuff and I've been trying to find a new charity thing. I love comics. I want to write a comic and like get one completed and I love my friends and I want to help them out. So what came out of it was I want to get a 25 page comic divided into five stories and then get like 10 of my friends total to create them. So I got a bunch of people, put them in a Facebook group and I said, Hey, this is kind of random, but I'm reaching out because I think you're a super talented, creative person. And I think you deserve more than you're getting. And if you're interested, I want to do a comic and, would you like to be involved with it? If not, let me know now. And everyone said yes. So it's everyone ranging from like a theater director to a tattoo artist, to a children's book illustrator, to, you know, like people in bands or like, there's just a lot of diverse people in it, but we're all tied together from like the Flint, the Flint, Michigan music scene and like the creative community. And once we started putting all that kind of stuff together, we realized that, it's going to be a lot easier than we thought. So we started setting deadlines and we were like, well, first of all, what's the comic about? And kind of based on how love is love was that specific theme. I was like, well, hope like that's what everyone needs right now. Like you turn on the news and it's just grim and bitter. 
you talk to anyone in Flint and we're like, well, nothing happened still like to the point now where people are just trying to be like, Oh, actually the water's fine. So, and that's the solution. Like just saying that. Yeah. And even if it was all the terrible things happened in the first place, so there's still families that are screwed up, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's why I was like, okay, so it's hope a comic for Flint. And I actually came up with the name, which I mean, isn't that creative, but uh, I was at the C2E2. It was a convention mm. in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, I was at a Marvel panel and I like, I'm a, I like, public speaking but for some reason i was just like super nervous and i wanted to like talk about what we were doing and then ask a question in regards to it and that's what i said like i'm working on a flint charity comic called hope a comic for flint blah, blah blah and the second i said it out loud i'm like oh hell yeah this is real and like all these like big people got to hear it in person and uh then i was like i think we got something here yeah. so we started like seeing all the scripts coming from people and then the second we started seeing artwork we were like Oh man, this is legit as hell. And yeah, it, it was months and months of hard work, like organizing stuff, pairing people off, uh, editing stuff, whatever. And like, even like formatting the comic itself. But we ended up with, um, once we even got advertisements for it too, from like local businesses and bands that helped pay for the printing of it, mm. we got a 32 page comic. Nice. And then, uh, I know I've saw on your Facebook that, um, the proceeds from the comic are going towards uh, a organization called the Compass. Uh, what are they? Uh, what do they deal with? So uh, the Compass, it's a program of Michigan Community Services Inc. Uh, my buddy Marvin works for him, and what they do is specialize in helping adults with disabilities, whether it be mental or developmental. Um, and they try and reintegrate these people into the community because they can't necessarily vote, and they a lot of the time they're kind of just kept out of like the workforce and that kind of thing. Uh, so I got to check it out and not only are they underfunded, uh, which is why we're going wild, like making sure that like people are paying attention to who they are. Um, but like they're doing really, really cool stuff. And the second we give them money, we're seeing what's going on with it. Like we're not stockpiling money in a warehouse somewhere like that'll eventually be made. We know that, even if it's only a few thousand dollars they're getting, like we get to meet the people that are getting benefited from it. Um, so I got to check it out with Marvin one day and they were showing me like one room is just like people working on crafts and doing uh, different projects where they could actually sell it themselves at the Flint farmer's market. Um, one is a group of people that gets trained to go out into the job force or the workforce rather and like actually work jobs and then another one is just community engagement where they're doing like uh, different programs and different things around town to help out people. So instead of being in scrubs or being in like, I guess, outsider uh, clothing, like the idea is to show that they're normal people and they're just integrating them into the community, which is doing a lot of good. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and what, what about SourcePoint Press? Uh, how did they get involved in the project? So Elle Whitcomb, uh, she is an awesome writer. Uh, Elle also worked for a comic shop in Fenton, Michigan, which is where we were from originally. And they're doing a bunch of awesome stuff with, uh, like in the board game world. So 
it was kind of on a whim they're talking to me and then just last minute we're like hey should i reach out to source point press uh i'm kind of buddies with them and they're a michigan publisher i was like yeah sure whatever and like 10 minutes later like okay cool they're in that, that's awesome wait that, that's, that's it <laughs> like yeah. oh it's great to see when you know i guess uh, local organizations or local companies want to, you know, step in, especially with with such a fantastic cause. Um, so, yeah. the, if you're listening to the uh, interview, uh, w- which comes out on the 31st, uh, the comic actually releases tomorrow, September 1st. Why don't you let people know where they can find it? Uh, if they can order copies online or uh, any other distribution you guys may have. Yeah. So right now, our initial run is only going to be 500. And it's going to be available at hopeacomicforflint.bigcartel.com. Um, and then if you are able to go to the show, that'll be Foster Coffee downtown Flint. Uh, but yeah, so for the initial run, we highly suggest pre-ordering it or just ordering it in general. And then it's actually getting solicited for a national distribution in the winter, which is going to be super exciting. Yeah, that's uh, so yeah, so... Like and again, thanks to Source Point Press for that. And the cool thing is, all of the local advertisements and stuff, like we're keeping those in the comic for when that comes out. That's cool. That's really cool. So I uh, I had asked you to pick out, or uh, I guess let us know what your the first song that you wrote for Baggage, or the first I guess song that you had wrote that was eventually recorded as a Baggage song, and you uh, you said it was Safety Net. Uh, what was it? Or why don't you tell us a little bit about that song? Yeah. Um, so it's funny because it took me a while to like piece together why that was an important one. And well, first of all, it's definitely a song about being in the swellers, even if people don't understand it or not. Uh, Cause that was like the band itself was my safety net. Like every time I needed something or it's a way to identify, you know, I would always be the person from the swellers. Uh, and in addition to all that, two big parts of it um the ending of the song there's like this uh kind of like clean guitar break before it gets like a big like heavy thing at the very end and i wrote that part on warp tour in a parking lot it was at like one in the morning and i was having like a really weird day because i often have really weird days and uh i just kind of like wandered off with an acoustic guitar and i was just trying to like write something because i didn't i was just frustrated because i never was that great at guitar or anything like that. And I wrote that thing and I really liked it. And I just started playing it over and over and over again. And I was like, this doesn't really make sense to Sweller stuff. I don't know what it would be. So I recorded that on my phone and then I listened to it later. And that ended up being in that song. But then another part is the first lyrics are, um, I was listening to the waves again, the cold sand beneath my feet. And it was when as a band, we went for a walk in Brazil And it was kind of what we talked about earlier, where we're literally in Brazil, a place that most people never get to go to in their lives. And we're wandering around and we're talking about how the band's breaking up. Mm. And I'm just trying to come to terms with like, most people I know will never be able to stand where I'm standing right now, or just feel the like serenity of the waves in this world like this. But then at the same time being like, yeah, I don't think things are working out. And it was just such an odd, surreal experience to me. Um, I don't know if I've ever actually talked about that part specifically before, but that's why like that lyric to me is very important because it's like I was literally doing those things, and that kind of just set the tone for the whole song. Yeah, was it 
uh, we're going to listen to safety net and then we're going to talk about baggage, but was it how were, were the things you were writing for the swellers before? Maybe they weren't as personal. Maybe you took a step where you were like writing more from a standpoint of uh, John and not John from the swellers. You, you maybe that was the, uh, the change. Um, I was always definitely writing very personal stuff for the swellers. Uh, but I think this one was more of that, like, Oh my God, here comes the next chapter, you know? And that's when it, that, that moment was like a pinnacle life moment that I'll probably never forget just because it was such a conflict of good and shitty at the same time. All right. Well, it's been a safety net move back in just a second. So I saw you mention online that the band was working on a uh, full length. Uh, how is that going? 
it is definitely going. Uh, <laughs> so I was looking back at the baggage Instagram for a while and we've been like baggage LP one, like it's coming out next year. And it's been like two years of that. Um, but one thing I'm really proud of is we've been a band for three years, maybe four years. And we've only put out seven songs. And I feel like there's this beauty and restraint where we're not pushing anything. Like we very much want our songs to matter when they do come out. And we've had a bunch of chances to like put out like a new song that we've had written or demoed or whatever. And I was like, it's not the right time. Like I want to hold off. And we had like a little tour coming up and I'm like, it's not the right time yet. So we started realizing that little by little, we're just writing a full length. We're not just going to do like random singles or whatever. And, uh, we've been recording with Mark Hudson who did saves the day, taking back Sunday against me. And he's actually in, uh, Laura Jane Grace and the devouring mothers. Um, and he is a wonderful person. And whenever he's not touring and doing a bunch of like really cool, impressive stuff, uh, we'll record with him. And instead of doing a full length in one sitting, like I'm used to pretty much my whole life, uh, we've just been recording it a little bit at a time, like one song, two songs, like different little chunks. Um, and in addition to him being busy, I'm going out with two other bands Chris, our drummer, is going out with different bands doing photography, and then he's actually going out with the band shortly uh, for oh, two nice. months. So that's a, an artist from Detroit, I believe. And uh, so we have like all of these personal things going on where we're all super busy, and then we have to try and like fight our normal work schedule to be able to even practice in the first place. So like when we do get together, it's just like amazing chemistry. And especially with like Dustin and Jacob, our guitarists, like when they put their brains together, they're coming up with some like amazing stuff. So I think right now we have five or six songs completely recorded and that's like professional style, like fully produced, like worked out parts, all that kind of stuff, like ready to go release. But our goal is to probably get 10 songs. So uh, we still have like a ton of demos and stuff that like we're still reworking with. Um, but the idea is hopefully in the winter to finish this thing up. Cause you know, a few of us are going to be off and on tour so much. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I remember, uh, I had seen you guys open for animal flag, um, God, two months ago, maybe now. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I was watching, I was like, Oh, you know, found out uh, who you, you know, who you were. Cause I remember the swellers from your know, years and years and, um, you were playing your songs and I was like, you know, this is cool. And then you were like, well, this is a new song. I think it was, it was potholes. And yeah. I was like, wow, man, like this song is really good. So it's it's exciting to hear like really what it comes down to is just the care you guys are taking in the new, the, you know, the new material. So uh, really excited to hear, you know, hear that album when it comes out. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Like especially that song too, like we could have released that a few times mm-hmm. and we've been like tweaking little things and like w- just when you eventually hear the real recording of it it is so wonderfully done. Like Mark is a genius. Like every little feel is thought out and like the guitars are just so nice. Nice. Uh, but what we wanted to do is like, I, I don't want to have confines and parameters like I used to in bands like the Swellers with baggage. I want to be able to have like a big rock and song and then a song like potholes. And for the people that haven't heard it, which is almost everyone, uh, 
it's just like this nice chill indie song. Yeah. And we were playing it on our last tour and it just felt so good. So we're like, like every time we would play it, someone would come up to us after and they just go, that's the song, man. Nice. Like I know, right? <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I think of one of, one of my favorite bands ever, like jets to Brazil. They had oh, that yeah. same thing where it was like one moment, like two songs just of like straightforward, like American, like rock. And then like, they'll just drop all of the instruments down and just let, you know, the vocals carry a song for a bit. And then they'll come out with something with like super bass heavy tones. Like, it's just like, they didn't think, all right, we have to write good pop punk songs. We have to write good emo songs. It was just like, let's just write good songs and whatever comes out, that's what our band is. So that's what Jets are Brazil. Yeah. You know, that's what baggage is. So that's really cool. When I feel too, like a big part of it is like vocal delivery and just like, regardless of your sound, I feel like certain bands have a vibe and like you can hear something and go, oh, I know what this is. Yeah, and like sure. that's what we want with our band. Where like uh, Mark has been kind of like passing his like musical wisdom down to us, and part of the reason he's excited working with us is because we're letting him show us all of this stuff. Like normally in a recording setting, it's like, all right, you have a week to do a full length. Let's just go. Everyone do like one take. We'll edit it. Who cares? With Mark, it's like no, we're going to be here all day until the vocals are perfect nice. and I'm not using auto-tune. Nice. And at first fantastic. I used to be so angry about it and like I'll still get like down on myself sometimes because it's not like perfectly in pitch, but like Mark cares. Like he's making us all better musicians, better songwriters, and we're learning these little tricks that most people don't pick up on. Like why is that song on the radio? Why does that do so well but this song doesn't? Or why does like, why do you feel this way when you hear this part Versus this other thing that's just loud, you know, like there, there's like a reason for every single thing. And that's what we're trying to put in the baggage. Finally, mm. you had mentioned earlier that you wrote, you know, a, a good number of the, the songs that the Swellers performed over the years. So when you started baggage, did you have a backlog of songs or was it kind of, all right, I'm done with that chapter. Uh, I'm going to try something new. Like how much of what material you maybe you've had floating around for a long time ended up in baggage? Um, The only stuff like material wise, I believe we're just like a few parts of songs. Mm. Um, that was the cool thing. Like when we started working on stuff, I was like, now that I'm like, I have enough know-how on like how to play a stringed instrument. Cause before, like I was writing our stuff on an acoustic guitar that some guy gave me on tour. Like that's how half the Sweller songs were written. Mm. And, uh, I still don't know real chords. Like <laughs> I could do like two finger power chord things, yeah. but like, that's why I'm playing bass in this band because like I always have melodies in my head and I just let the guitars, you know, be smart about it. That's the best way to put it. Um, so with me, a big part of it was like, okay, I am going to start writing songs that don't have literally the baggage of the other band, like sonically, like I want these to feel fresh. Mm. So even that one part that was in safety net that was written while I was in the swellers, I had a feeling it just wouldn't be a Swellers thing, you know, and I didn't know why or what it would end up being. But, you know, I I guess I made the right judgment, which yeah. is cool. Yeah, definitely. So you answered my next question, which was, you know, your, your reasoning for playing bass uh, instead of guitar uh, when fronting the band. But uh, any personal favorite bass playing frontmen? Um, I've been listening to a lot of Thin Lizzy. <laughs> oh, God, I love some Thin Lizzy. And I think that's like some of the coolest stuff. Um, and then the most accidental favorite musician I have 
uh, David Bazan, like him and Pedro the Lion are just like, so I wrote the first bag of GP and we got like the first like mix back and I sent it to my buddy. He's like, oh, dude, this is awesome. It's like super like David Bazan, like Pedro the Lion kind of stuff. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like, wasn't Pedro the Lion the like Christian band or something? And then I like listened to it and I'm like, oh my God, this is the best thing in the world. Yeah, I've heard <laughs> that like, name for years. Um, I don't believe I've ever listened to Pedro the Lion. There's an album called Control that will immediately convert you. Right. It is like the perfect, an- it's like the super dumbed down version of explaining it is like Death Cab and Weezer mixed, but like oh, okay. sadder and more emotional. <laughs> um, but like the lyrics are just so good and well thought out. The music's so cool. And like, it just hits this like, it has this vibe that I was doing and I didn't know existed. So I was like, this is my new favorite band. Oh my God. So then now when you start hearing like later baggage stuff, you're going to be like, okay, they listen to this now. Like it's not just coincidental anymore. Um, but yeah, I also didn't know that David Bazan played bass in Pedro the lion, which when I figured that out, I was like, Oh my God, like this is so cool. He's so awesome. It all makes sense. Now it's all, all the pieces are falling into place. Yeah, so I think I'm him. That's kind of where we're at. <laughs> so uh, you'd mentioned earlier you're, you're going to be playing drums with uh, the early November uh, on a tour coming up. Uh, why don't you give us some details about that? Yeah, so this is going to be my second tour with them. Um, we did, I played drums on the Rooms Too Cold anniversary tour. Uh, we did like a full U.S. thing. And then how it works is their drummer, Jeff, is actually currently in the band, but he's just not able to tour full amounts. So they have me come out and then I do all of it other than one week. And then he'll do that week, Mm. uh, which is usually like East coast kind of stuff like New York, Boston, all that. Um, so it's super cool. Uh, Ace is an amazing dude, super passionate about what he's doing. And I wasn't sure when like the next thing was going to happen, but they have a new album coming out. So all the pieces kind of started falling into place. And then, where you know the group text is already going, and I'm leaving September 9th for it, so oh, it's gonna up. be super fun. Yeah, for anyone who hasn't heard the early November, uh, how would you describe their sound? Um, hmm, I feel like initially it was like the transformation of pop punk kids into emo kids, uh, which is like a really dumbed down version of explaining it, but like later on, it's just like awesome emotional powerhouse rock like uh and then from what i've heard of the new stuff it's a lot more like fragile and super sad but as i've talked about like 90 times like i naturally gravitate towards sadder things (laughs) like a more emotion and music and that because i feel like a lot of really good melodies are based out of that kind of stuff yeah um so yeah it's it definitely ranges from a bunch of stuff because some will sound like like early stuff is more like pop punky and then later stuff is like rhythmic and technical mm. and like re- not like aggressive, but like emotionally heavy. Okay. Nice. Uh, is that a full U S tour? Are you guys doing, uh, specifically certain parts? Um, we're doing full yet full U S nice. and then I'm again, dropping out at the end yeah. and then Jeff is doing like, it's like f- seven days or something like that. Okay. Nice. Well, uh, we'll end it. We'll talk a little bit about, um, the Hope, a comic for Flint release show that's happening September 1st. Uh, what other bands you got playing on the show? We have the Dead Serious, which is my buddy Rob Anthony's band. Uh, 
they did a comic or he wrote one of the comics in hope um the next band is the apology tour which is my brother who sang for the swellers and then the bassist is michelle lukasik who not only illustrated rob's comic in our story um she also did the layout for the whole thing like she was like the brains behind the design and organization and everything so she definitely saved our ass and then baggage which is my band and then a band called cope Naconic from uh, our area sam the bassist is one of the writers of a story and it's super good like me and him have been going to get comics every day at our local comic shop every wednesday for the last three years i think mm. so like he's kind of the guy that like got me super into comics again and then the singer of his band jesse uh did the cover for it oh nice. so all of the bands have something to do with the comic which is super cool that is really cool. i've i as much as i've ever heard of you know release shows or anything uh, to kind of commemorate the release of a book or a comic i've never heard where every band on that show is actually directly involved in it so that's a really cool thing about the uh, project well that was like i'm constantly doing way too many things so this is the first time i could like consolidate everything so it made sense mm. and the second it like worked out I'm like oh that feels good uh, <laughs> it's so... like breaking all your grocery bags in at the same time and it worked out <laughs> uh so any uh any comic uh, any copies of the comic that you know aren't don't sell or don't go through pre-order will you have those on the road when you're out with uh, the early november i'm gonna try yeah i gotta figure out a good way so they don't get crushed because i'm gonna do like flights and stuff to get there and then we're all crammed together in a van so i'm going to try and bring as many as i can that's yeah. the plan so far yeah awesome so uh, i asked you to end it uh have you pick another baggage song uh you picked the song staring at the wing so uh, yeah we'll end with that well first i want to say thank you so much for uh, for being on the show um good luck with everything you have going on you know uh anyone who's listening please go check out uh, hope a comic for flint Go check out the early November. Uh, John's do, uh, will be touring with them, man, really soon within the next uh, week. If you're hearing this now, and then uh, check out Baggage. You know, you know, be on the lookout for their album, which will come out you know, sometime soon, hopefully. Uh, what What do you want to say about uh, Staring at the Wing? Um, that's another one of those songs where, over time, actually, I feel like the ending of that song is something that I had for Swellers a long time ago too, mm. um, but that is kind of the introduction of hope into uh baggage because it starts out like from being in a bad place like traveling all the time and then over time you kind of see like hope in the world and you see potential and everything so i feel like not only is it a great closer it's a great closer to the podcast awesome well thank you john thank you man
first Friday of the month means it is time for our September movie preview. Um, I'm a little happier this time um, because I actually planned it out so we have one for every Friday of the month, and then uh, one of the Fridays has two, but uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, first and foremost, September 7th uh, is The Nun. Um, any of you guys familiar with the Conjuring universe? Yeah. All right, so this is the uh, fifth installment in that universe, and it's actually oh. a spinoff of the second Conjuring movie. I've only seen the first. I don't know they've been coming out. Say no shout out to Rapid Trailer for putting your stupid uh, thing before it. <laughs> I had a series of visions I when I was young. Scares. Oh, me too. But after each one ended, the same thought would be stuck in my head. What did you see? I saw none. Believe me, she would not be my first choice that I can tell. Oh, really? I was asked to accompany a priest to an abbey in Romania. All right, so this is a uh, movie is not directed by James Wan, who is the uh, creator of the series, but it is one of his stories that's being used as the basis. What? Caroline's here. This is like one of the really dark fucking movies at the theater. Mm, yeah. Mama. Oh, yeah. Mama. Oh, yeah. I can't watch this. <laughs> <laughs> run, bitch, run! <laughs> she got a black face. Not the makeup no face. thing. She's like, no face. Oh, you're fucked. <laughs> and then, like, that feel like... Rip. Oh, she didn't. Oh! oh! Holy Robert, shit! Come on, you saw that a mile away. Dude, I I don't come watch on. horror movies. Come <laughs> on, man. <laughs> Whoa! Where is our reaction on the video? Oh Whoa. my goodness. That was that pretty bad. good, actually. Oh, I I actually do really like the Conjuring movies. Uh, can't remember the guy's name who uh, who plays in them, oh. but um, really really enjoyed those. So. I probably will have to see this in theater, but it'll be me gritting through it, like with my eyes closed 90% of the time, and Heather telling me that we're wasting money watching it. Uh, you guys gonna watch this? No. You see this? No. Who the fuck would watch that? I, I'm not gonna watch that. Too scary? No. It looks I dumb. will if I, I don't, don't like need to know movies. everything about mm. the others. I'm not a fan of horror movies, so I'm just not gonna watch it. I would say you don't need to know anything about the others, so. Um, the really interesting thing, anyone who watches it, in uh, The Conjuring 2, so The Conjuring is about uh, these two paranormal detectives who are uh, these wife who investigate these things. So this wife nun, who? this wife who, oh. him and his wife, this couple who, thank you, Aaron, I'm <laughs> Chinese apparently, um, who are, investigate these kind of things. Japanese. So this scene... <laughs> Get it right. This scene um, was just really random in The Conjuring 2, mm. where like they're walking through their house and this nun is just standing there. In their house, so the, I don't know if you guys know, but this is an uh, this is a shared universe in all these movies where, like, the there's a long running story. So like, there's that movie Robert, Annabelle, The Conjuring movies. All these take place in the same universe. Huh. Um, it's really cool to see a horror movie shared universe um, out there. I don't I don't think of anything else like it. Yeah, they haven't been doing horror like like this in a while. They had the whole. Freddy and uh, Halloween. Uh, yeah, but those were cheese else. balls. But yeah. back then, it wasn't cheese. No, that shit was cheese. Yeah, this is good, good old like traditional horror. Like yeah. it's the kind of horror that I think will be looked back upon fondly in twenty years or so. Like no, I mean, 
who I guess people still kind of watch the same level of exorcist. I, I mean, maybe not to that level, but I would say like in 30 years, like you will still see, Oh, get the conjuring collection on streaming. Like it's not going to be like forgotten to time. Mm-hmm. Like so much other just trash horror movies are yeah. nowadays. Uh, VHS that that movie right which is just like a terrible ring like the ring will always be looked at as phenomenal yeah mm-hmm. all the junk that it spawned will not no. and this is a these are not being uh they're not based on anything else it's not a trend like they're slowly building this shared universe and they're doing a fantastic job with it hmm. so that's out the first Friday that is the uh that's actually out on the seventh uh, flash to September 14th and we have a whole different angle just as dark but maybe not maybe not as scary this is the predator. Written and directed by Shane Black, a writer of Lethal Weapon 1 and 2, you know Last Action Hero, Hero, and director of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man 3, and The Nice Guys. On paper, this should up, be one of my favorite and movies. And <laughs> what falls out of the sky. What's on the ship? That guy's in the chairs of the bus. Why can't I first? No. Danny Glover wouldn't appreciate that. <laughs> Tell me about the mission. Did you see anything unusual? It's above our big ring. Do I get a cookie now? That guy's a good actor. <laughs> he was in Logan. Look, I get it. Oh, Something I see went down in Mexico. You see Logan? Nobody wants no. any witnesses. We need to know if you're not trying to pose a threat. You should see Logan. I, I've heard it's different, mostly from Rangers. It's hey, less Baxley, comic book. If your mom's vagina were a video game, no, that hey, was uh, Keen. Oh, for Keen. everyone. That was uh, Punisher. <laughs> Some posing a threat. Oh, uh, the Punisher. Punisher. Uh, Punisher. Yeah. Oh, a lot of faces. Fucking This movie's got some promise. Yeah. Do we know? Is this a continuation of the Adrian Brody Predators cast two years ago? They're all. They're all in the same universe. Yeah. As much as they screw up just and they mess movies up, they, they they just they keep it going. The <laughs> that's right. But there was a Predator movie like like last year. Like, yeah, predator, predator, predator. A bunch of people get thrown onto another you know planet, basically. On the ship. Yeah, and they all die. Lawrence right? Fishburne's in it. Race. Oh. The ultimate predators. The hell is that thing? Light him up! We may die. It's an apex predator. Yeah. We're still here. This makes you feel more so like Come and get us, motherfucker. Predator 2. See, if they take this along the lines of what uh, Ridley Scott is doing with Prometheus, and uh, those will be a lot better. I enjoy Prometheus, but they didn't do it all right. And I haven't seen that. You didn't see the you didn't see the next one after Prometheus. Mm, you're missing out. You need to see it. Okay. So I feel like I'm getting a mixed feeling from this because the beginning of it felt, you know, awesome. I guess I don't know how to explain because I'm not going to say this. The second part when the second Predator showed up looked bad, but it's almost like it changed it from like I thought it was going to be a serious movie. And then when that predator showed up, I'm like, oh, they're just doing like a monster movie where they're two yeah, monsters fighting. Vibe. You know, like it's just yeah, like it took a, a weird turn for yeah, me. I get that I, vibe. Well, I, then again, I mean, how often can you continue to do the same story over and over again with the predator? So I guess we also don't know when that scene takes place. 
that those two predators showing up could very well mm-hmm. be 30 seconds into the movie. We really don't know. I but. got a sense that, you know, the humans are being hunted by the first predator we are engaged with and then the hunted the, the hunter becomes the hunted and maybe like they kind of join forces like almost the like what they the did original. in that uh, aliens versus predator movie oh, where yeah. the human teamed up with the predator to fight the aliens um theory uh there they found that alien armor remember mm-hmm. Could that be a human in alien armor? Who's that second one? Hey, the way it moved was too alien. You know, it like it like burst through the wall and it was like moving like this. But remember, the guy was holding like a suit of I armor. I thought he was gonna put the helmet on. That's what I was thinking too. Could that could that be? It's a symbiotic armor. Who knows what? Like when you put it on, think mm-hmm. of like venom, right? Mm-hmm. When you put on the suit, you're not really human anymore. No. So if you put on this alien armor, could that be a human in alien armor fighting back against an alien? Maybe, but the the oh, we are only seeing uh, cuts of scenes. Absolutely, maybe that predator was running with the humans and mm. running away from the apex, the real absolutely. Predator. That's a good call. In the predator universe, pretty much the only thing that they have is their helmet. They don't really have like an armor. That's true. Yeah, but I right. think I did see more armor. We'll, I mean, they have like, like their shoulder pads, gear. pauldron, Saiyan armor, yeah. but uh, yeah. not really. Like, like it's like not a, like an ent- a, a suit, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's they are that creature with some armor. So, uh, Aaron, will you see it? Eventually, yes. Yeah. Will Probably I go not the theater? theater. No, no. Steve, this is a Netflix or DVD buy. That's about yeah. it. Steve, Steve, Tim. Scrimps, uh, Scrimps. Thank you. I got movie pass now, so I'm trying to see more <laughs> movies. <You're> <laughs> bougie <laughs> ass. Uh, yes. Shout out to movie. Yes, I, yeah, I would go see this in theater. This is the this is the kind of movie you got to see in theater. I think this is my horror movie. This is the kind of stuff I do for horror. I don't. I can't get past past none, the none. No face nuns. Yeah, I'm not doing too that. scary. Yes. Nope. All right. One week later, uh, September 21st, we have the house with a clock in its walls. You'll see. Things are quite different here. Jack. So when I first saw this, I thought it was a sequel to Goosebumps. Me too. <laughs> I just remembered that. Which I like Goosebumps. It I wanted. I need to see that movie. That's good. I heard it was. The yeah. ending was a little disappointing, but it's a kid's movie. It's a good movie. Mm-hmm. So is Teen Titans Go. Directed by Eli Roth. Nice. Hostile and Glorious Bastards. Yep. Hello. Written by Eric Kripke, creator of the show Supernatural. Mm. You'll see. Things are quite different here. I feel like I said that in the beginning of the trailer. That's the point, maybe? Where's this kid's parents? The house is a very old place. Say what you want about There's Jack Black, he's a true actor. He's really he, transformed himself. He's a theater. We don't know what it does, except bringing on something horrible. So, you've told Lewis everything? Well, not everything. 
like, what these trailers like to do the Have first four out. seconds is like perfectly a little teaser. Safe. Yeah. That's safe. As long as it's fed. Very interesting. Confused why it's called. It has clock in it. Like, yeah. Maybe, maybe that there's more. To I have no interest the in the workings. This. No. You guys didn't see all this the clocks jam? all over no. the damn place. I didn't care about it at all. I mean, it's cool that Jack Black is still getting roles. But besides that, I Jack don't care. Black is Hollywood. Yeah, he's how he's, he's their man. I don't. See, have you? He's been Goosebumps, doing movies for thirty years. Jumanji. Um, I mean, every year he's in the he's, never-ending story. Right, he's he's not the lead actor though in Jumanji. That's no, the rock. He's the be. fat buddy. He's an actor, but There's he's not the lead actor. He doesn't need to be the lead actor to still be doing movies. He, he's the new Danny DeVito. No God. <laughs> That's that's an uh, look. If I was called the new Danny DeVito, I'd be I'd be proud. Frank. What if you were called the new Joe Pesci though? Ooh. <laughs> you talking to me? Okay, 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 okay. Um, all, right, all right, that's fire. Here's what I'll say about um, this movie. I think that the, when they made it, they thought they were treading more new ground than they really are. It doesn't seem that much different to me than. Um, I mean, like we said, Goosebumps. Um, it legitimately felt like a Goosebumps movie. Yeah, the Lemony Stickets type yeah, movies. I mean, I, if if you found out this was based off a children's kids uh, book series, would you be surprised at all? No, no. no. It feels like it I thought it was. Feel. Yeah, I'm sure it, it is, right? I mean, if not, it's heavily inspired by that feel. So um, I will probably see this in theater just because it's Jack Black. Uh, I have to see Jack Black in theater. And this movie is going to be a visual treat. Aaron? I feel what you just said there. Visually, this is like a movie you would want to see in the theater, uh, a la 300. You know, that was a movie that drawed you in to see it visually, see what was going on. Yep. Um, maybe. Maybe I get to see it in the theater. The visuals look fun, but not like completely impressive to my uh, level. But I would wait till Netflix or like, you know, uh, actually go to the video store. Hmm. But oh, what's the video store that actually, family video? Family video. Yeah, the cheapest fuck, man. If this is a kids <laughs> movie, I can get it for a buck. Just one thing. Steve, no, no. Yeah, I, it just so did not grab me. Words. So I have a question for you about it. Um, oh, thank you. Good catch on the cuss words. We're trying to be a family friendly show with gay jokes, but uh, um, we just we talked about Eli Roth is making that movie. Okay, now same exact trailer, but it was a Tim Burton movie or a Guillermo del Toro movie. Would that change if you'd want to see it? It would change everything. Same trailer. I'm not it saying it's Guillermo. any different. Guillermo? Guillermo, yes. Tim Burton, no. Okay. Agreed. Yeah. I like Tim Burton still. So I know he's got he's got a bad rap over the past 25 years or so. <laughs> his movie's, pa- kinda, his movie's a past decade. That's been good. That's I, why. I don't know. I just, I, I just thought about that. I like Eli Roth. I mean, come on. Inglorious Bastards is unbelievable. Mm. Hostile, too grimy for me. But um, I don't know. I just, I just wonder if. Again, that's an overtreaded ground that why are we seeing another mainstream director going after that market? I don't know. I feel like Eli Roth could have done more. Absolutely. Time for Michigan's own Michael Morse. Uh I've never seen a Mi- Michael Morse. I've never seen a Michael Moore movie. You're not um, missing much. But uh we're going to start uh the trailer for this. This is uh Fahrenheit 11:9. This also comes out on September 21st. How the did this happen? I saw this preview when I went to see Black Klansman. Very appropriate. I want to see that movie. It was good. 
tired of people telling me that America is the greatest country because we can whip your ass. I hate some of these people, but I'd never kill them. How do you deal with this? You're never going to be able to unsee what you saw. Try to impeach him. Just try it. You will have a spasm of violence in this country like you've never seen. Governor Snyder, I got some Flint water for you. When the operation of the machine becomes so odious, you've nice. got to put your mind upon the gears and upon the wheels, and you've got to make it stop. If nobody's going to do it, so then I got to do it. And I don't give a who you are. I'll fight you in the damn street right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, how the did this happen? The American dream is dead. Stop resisting. The president's powers here are beyond question. Ladies and gentlemen, are they just like the last age? president of the United I States? Yeah. Oh, the last president of the United States. Okay. That's interesting. Coming to an American city near you. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a great Netflix uh, documentary I watch. Yeah. I'll watch it. Uh, I'll never see it in theater. No. Like, I, I, was this even going to go to theater? Oh, yeah, in theaters yeah, everywhere. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. all his stuff. I'll watch this junk in theater. His stuff always goes to theater. Uh, Michael Moore's made good documentaries, um, but I really feel like this one, all the people who support everything you just saw with that propaganda threw at you, this is going to be like their flag. Yeah, their rallying like, cry. All these damn kids in junior high and high school right now and you know these you know kids in college, like this is going to be a rally cry for them, just like bowling for Columbine was or, mm. you know... Um, I'm okay with what he does. I'm okay with what the the side he he takes and in the viewpoint that he projects. I don't agree with seventy five percent of what he talks about, mm. but as a documentary maker, I think he does a great job mm. of bringing his point across and doing it in a way that it really makes you think about how you already think about a situation. You know, that the whole thing, it's that's going to be everything that's gone on in the last 3 years is what you're seeing on that that in that movie. So it's going to be very This is going to uh, be a hot talking point. Yeah. A lot of in in the the problem with it is is it won't get past the circle of people mm. who this caters to. Right. And, left. If, and if it does it caters to the left, but I the, think it will. But the issue you'll have is that the two sides who both see it will be the, you know, the good parts of it. I can't agree with. And the bad parts of it, I can't agree with. Right. If you're, it's if not you're gonna be super, bridging any gaps. Nope. If you're, yeah. super, no, if gonna you're gonna super left, exactly. you're going to watch, gonna you're going to love everything. If you're super right, you're going to watch it. You're going to hate everything. Mm -hmm. But like y you should be able to watch any type of political drama documentary and like Use your own, you know, mind to think through People and say, like, these are the things anymore. I believe. These yeah, are the they don't, that doesn't happen anymore. It's either you're one or the other. Yeah, there's just a lot of people do not just mm -hmm. they can't. Sometimes come to I terms. feel I'm like when I say I'm a moderate, people are like, "What does that mean?" I'm like, "What do you mean? What does that mean?" I'm like, 
I don't. I'm not gonna be one or the other. Yeah. I'm gonna look at the story from six different sides of a point. You know, there's always other ways to think about it, and you know, just be. I'm not gonna align myself with the right and stay with the right till I die. You know, and agree with everything they agree with. That's the old ways. Yeah. All right. Well, fuck all this political noise. Um, <laughs> I will say, uh, did you guys notice that uh, Michael Moore in the beginning of it? He sounds just like they how they made him sound in South Park when they were spoofing him all those years ago. <laughs> and then he is barely in that trailer. Like, he's super annoying when you first hear his voice. Like, ah, I don't know what's going on in the last couple of years. And then he is not in the trailer except for when that one guy says he's going to kick his ass. The rest of them is just sound bites and, like, interviews. That's how Michael Moore's movies are, are though. Yeah. yeah so I've he's seen a couple barely of them. featured in them. He's uh, just like, he does a voiceover. Yeah, a lot like, of voiceover. Just to, keep the, just to keep his... And then, like, a big Just to keep his agenda and going, and yeah. then he does, like, shows out, like, clip after clip. I will That's never watch that movie. They're good. So. I mean, like I said, his, his stuff is good. But I'm good after I watch it. I don't have to agree with everything he's talking about. Mm. You know, I just I want it to be a to, good thought provoking movie. Yeah. So mm. I want it to be. He, but it's he presents a good side of the story. But since well. we're at a point where no one can agree with each other, it's just not going to work. To end it this week, uh, well, this month, I guess uh, we have the old man and the gun from uh, September 28th. Hey, excuse me, America. Need some help? No, I'm good. Let me take a look. Help? No one trusts no one. You know anything about cars? Hey, Robert Redford. Uh, no 82 one. years old. Still handsome as hell. So, uh, what did you say you do? Still got the move. Well, that's a secret. And why is that? Well, because if I Who's told she? you, you probably wouldn't want to yes, see she me. Julianne Moore. Who said I was going to see you again? Would you? Directed by David uh, Lowry, who did Peach Dragon and also doing an upcoming live-action Peter Pan and movie. That counter up there, that was really a teller's window. And you just walk in. Yep. Peter, man, Peter Pan will never so die. Right but their live-action Disney the movies the last couple say, years like the, have been sick. They're doing a good job. the gun like this, and you say, I wouldn't want you to get hurt, because I like you. I like you a lot. So don't go breaking my heart now, okay? <sighs> You're not serious. Uh, excuse me. I'd like to open up an account. Well, great. What type of account do you have in mind? This kind. This kind. You said he was armed. He had a gun. You saw it. Well, he was also sort of a gentleman. <laughs> he was very polite. He seemed like a nice enough fella. Look at that. Is he smiling? This is based on a career criminal escape artist Forrest Tucker's story. You think you can catch him? Yeah, I won't lie. My great granddad. Once we move. Casey. Casey Affleck. Casey Affleck, Danny Glover, Tom Waits. Danny Glover. See, I told you he was going to show up. You guys made that bad joke earlier. Well, you find something you love. I was too old for this show. Exactly where I'm supposed to be. You're never exactly where you're supposed to be, are you? Now, whenever I close the door, I think, is this the last time I'll ever have a chance to do whatever that thing was? You know what I do when the door closes? I jump out the window. <laughs> Living is a gamble, baby. Loving's much the same. There's an easier way to make a living. And he looked at me and he said, I'm not talking about making a living. I'm just talking about living. Man, this looks like it was made in 1960. Man, that movie looks really boring. I don't know. Um, and it makes <laughs> me sad because when I was doing some research about it, 
So the idea is it's based on uh, the life of Forrest Tucker, who is the play, a role he plays, who is considered like w- the greatest American like escape artist guy. Yeah. He escaped from prison 18 times successfully, and he failed 12 times. So he's like a life criminal who's mm. like was known for breaking out of jail. I don't know how they're going to have 82-year-old Robert Redford. I'm assuming Casey Affleck's playing a younger version of him that he's kind of reflecting back on his life of crime. That's what I would expect. I didn't see him wearing any jumpsuits, so maybe just like one of his last runs. Yeah, sounds like a last hurrah for mm. him, maybe. What do you guys think? Yeah. Uh, man, if I still had like cable TV and it was on, I'd probably... Oh, yeah. This is this movie's going to be all over 11 o'clock in about a year and a half. <laughs> I'll uh, immediately forget about it after leaving this room. Yeah. I'll probably watch it with my dad one time, like at his house in, over the next couple of years. He's not gonna be like, "Old man, I'm gonna, I'll show you a good." <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you for listening to uh, this month's uh, movie preview. We will see you next month. Theunderchannel.com, home of the Underchannel, potting music, movies, news, and more. Oh, oh, oh! Did you change it over to? Headphones. Headphones. Change it over to headphones on the keyboard. So you guys, when you do it, you're going to have to switch over to it. There you go. Yep. That one. And nope. 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 Fuck nope. You, don't, you, you gotta right normal click it. it. Normal right. click it. Just no. be a normal, oh, normal clicker. Just a normal click. Just be normal for once in your goddamn life. <laughs> All right. Speakers. Headphones. Kick that shit up to 30. 30. Oh, we got 46 all. Oh, I was booming it, apparently. Boom. Boom. Just go. Yep. Hey there. Hey guys. This song by St. Vincent Surgeon. I first heard about her through this song back when I at Macomb. And it's just like get me through the days. And it was just like an awesome indie rock song. Uh, along with the music video I really enjoyed. And this is my favorite band that I saw at Mopop. Her... 2001, 2011, pardon me, album, Strange Mercy. These 4AD sessions are always really cool. Yeah. I love 4AD sessions. Well, my mind, what's a 4AD session? 4AD is a, uh, is it was an old record label. I want to say they're like, think of like, you know, Rough Trade, like an indie label from like the 80s, that kind of style. Um, but I think they do like movie shoots now or uh, video shoots, I guess. like multicam, you know, get after it. Too bad she didn't play this song. I was hoping for like an encore. This is the girl that did the Nirvana tribute, right? For the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She was one of them. I heard that. I, yeah, we, we didn't even see what song she did. I think mean, it was, uh, was not right. I was going to say that shit again just to bother you, but yeah, I know it wasn't you. Know, you're right. Yeah, I've always heard her. Uh, of all the girls, I've always heard her complimented as a uh, really good guitar player. You know, mm, very, very Robbie Krieger. So is this the vibe of most of her music? Very loungy. No, no. Like they're in an 80s 
lounge club. Yeah. I can swear I remember reading an article which was ta- talking about her being like the new David Bowie, like in that mold where, you know, she like reinvents her look and her kind of style and kind of direction when she goes to another album. That's but, funny. That's what I described her as. Really? Yeah, another episode, yeah. Oh, nice. I didn't know anyone wrote. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading something about when when an album came out like two years ago, I remember reading that like, you know, this is her Berlin era, you know, David Bowie. I could totally see that though, just her changing her style. Yeah. It's cool, I like it. I mean it's not really hitting like, you know, punching stench or anything, but it's pretty good so far. Well we're only we're maxed out at thirty. If somebody comes out with some death growls, this song would go to take it to a whole other level. Bring Chris Barnes from Cannibal Corpse. And this isn't even the like, album version. Would you say it's a faithful rendition of the album version? Yeah, yeah. It, this is like one of the best recording like 480 we we're just talking about it's quality yeah. video and uh, live performance combination oh, you know who i bet digs on this jack uh, white well probably him no uh she's she's a comedian uh she's on saturday night live blonde uh tina fey no wig Kristen wig Kristen wig Sure. Yeah. This is the Christian Wig band. That was sexist to you say. Why does a female comedian have to be on it? I just feel like this is her style. Why didn't she say Z's? I'm sorry. <laughs> she could like make fun of this band and be be her and what's her name? Yeah, just lead. Yeah. Do a spoof of some indie rock. Oh, yeah. I like it. Now we're getting real weird on Saturday. They need to do more of those, which I I don't watch that smell anymore. But like more like uh, Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's one of the most famous skits. So I'm kind of surprised they never like what did more with that. There's a funny one with Jack White when he hosted. They go like they're at a wedding and like the groom is getting up to do his thing. And like, I want a song for my wife or whatever. And then Jack White comes in. It's pretty good. Nice. I, I can't do it any justice by explaining yeah. it. It's something you have to see. This song was fucking awesome, though. Yeah, it was a very good song. I enjoyed I, that I enjoyed guitar it. lick, like you said. Mm-hmm. Very nice. The Under Channel. It's an hour you can't escape. All right, guys. I'm excited to show you some citywide uh, culture and design because starting September 1st, this Saturday, it is all month for design centered around people based in the city so people in the industry and the common folk can kind of come together and experience and educate themselves about what detroit has to offer uh it is i called a uh unesco united nations education scientific culture organization all right got that you killed it the acronym down now <laughs> close uh, that tab now yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh there's a lot going on it's been actually like there's been pre uh design month events happening all most of august already uh 
but this Saturday it kicks off with uh, the event Preserving Culture Through Broadcast Media that is going to be talking about because Detroit is a predominantly black uh, African-American uh, demographic. It talks about the story of the first African-American owned and operated TV station in the U.S. That was in Detroit? Yes. Oh, that's TV. cool. Yeah, it, look at that logo. That's like classic uh, yeah, Black Panthers shit. Yeah, yeah, butterfly, sure. butterfly. That's cool. There, that that probably was Freedom. a badass black light poster back in the seventies. Yeah, th- good call. Yeah, uh, I I'm gonna go for this first event. There's so many. I don't know which ones I'm all gonna be able to uh, get into, but just running down the line, uh, intersection of uh culture and design that's always uh embedded with city life you know you got to get with the community and bring art into community that's what i one top things i really like about it and is this i'm sorry i I just want to start with it is this like a i know architecture is featured one of the things is it a lot of like architecture based like that's kind of what I think of design, right? Design is like is very broad. It's it, a, it, oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah, I just I I was like really having trouble like understanding like what the tangible mm-hmm. thing behind it, right? Because it makes sense to me to like bring in because I don't always think of art and design as the same thing. It's almost like mm-hmm. design is like art without soul, which is like a sad thing to say, but yeah, it, it, it but because hopefully what happens is you find good artists who have soul, who their passion is design. And they have a chance to go out and like really shake things up, but uh, you design know. is art with structure, yeah, and money, <laughs> more more purpose, yeah, yeah, bankroll, more purpose than like feelings and mm-hmm. just like putting it out for the sake of art, right? Uh, but yeah, it, the city itself is a piece of design because architecture is behind it, mm-hmm. and D- Detroit is we've mentioned before called it the the uh, Western Hemisphere of Paris, you know. Paris of the West, yep. Yeah, Paris of the West. Uh, th- that is the 6th, September 6th. Uh, they're doing is like designer dating game. I want to jump back. I want to mention this is the first time that they're doing a whole month dedicated to bringing the culture of the city in the design realm. It used to just be like a weekend, week-ish design festival. Okay. Uh, I've attended a couple times. Uh Going further down because I can't hit all these. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. They're they're, they're doing architecture walk through. Uh, they're doing like Dang. building, building throughout the Southwest. Like what is going to be growing and expanding to see the future of Detroit. That is building our next generations with Southwest Detroit. Southwest, there's a lot of possibilities. Talk about what a nerd I am. Do you guys know what the most interesting thing on this whole board to me is? <laughs> it's got to be yeah. the French paper. Yeah, tour. absolutely. Road to 150 French paper tour. Don't know what that means, but I'd love to see it. That's that was the one thing I'm like, I don't even know what it's going to be. Well, about. What does that mean? Are they going to like walk me through a bookstore and like point to books that were yes. made in Paris? I, I think I, I said this motto like are, I think people are trying to make Detroit French again. Ooh, I like that. Day twelve. It'd be cool. I like that. 
if hey listen if we can become the paris of the west but we actually clean our bathrooms uh that'd yeah be a, that'd be enough do you really want to be french i am i am french ah shit hey listen here you scottish <laughs> bastard <laughs> i'm not scottish but go on uh there, hey listen buddy there's a scott in that <laughs> there's a scott in the woodwork somewhere uh you know to, just to describe what design is there's a event called shape defining furniture in michigan so i mean we we got a lot of michigan based furnishing uh designers out there and that's going to talk about the past and the present i mean i don't know if it's around the whole country but we got a lot of mid-century furniture like fans in the area i mean it makes sense this this area before it was industrialized was all woods yeah right so as you tore it down what are you going to do with that resource build shit with it so it would make sense that there's tons of you know old furniture and old buildings and you know all these like amazing you know turn of the century type uh design pieces that you know are hopefully being featured a lot of them especially in this area you know people have gone around as the city was uh blighted out and just bought these amazing like landmarks and pieces and they're just all in warehouses so i'm I'm sure there's some pretty cool uh displays set up around the city for Mm -hmm. this month oh yeah I, i i hope they show you some like old wood shops uh moving on there's equity and education imagining a new future in detroit you just try to like uh embrace the the youth for what they're going to be able to bring in education because education is the future our our youth uh there's something a little more active and fun to Go out into the city, see and explore its Easter Market murals in the market. This has been getting a lot of pub, like uh, nationwide pub, about this being a pretty uh, big mural event. Yeah, nearly every face of the exteriors of the buildings around there are really paint now. I I was just down there. It's it's like seeing a canvas in three sixty. But is it like? I mean, I see the one there here. I don't know who that kid is, but um, it's not like a lot. Is it like an Eminem mural and a Kid Rock mural, or are they just no, like just people? Just it's stu- it's just it's all kinds everything. of art designs. Gotcha, There's a yeah. lot of really neat stuff. Oh, okay. I don't know why I assumed it was like one artist with like a massive installation. No. It's just mm-hmm. a whole bunch of artists who have gone yeah. after it. Oh, yeah, throughout nice. the years, and I mean more in the last few several. Yeah. Yeah, if anyone listening, um, if you know they release any kind of like uh, drone flights or anything through that area. Um, post us a link out, uh, down in the comments. I'd love I'd love to check it out. I mean, hopefully I get down there to actually see it. But uh, you know, just in case, I'd like to see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Something I'm pretty excited about because I'm a tech guy. I-, I like tinkering. I like seeing what the future has in store for the robots taking over. Uh, and in design, <laughs> there the impact of what tech is going to have on the creative community. Uh, I don't know if they'll touch on this, but when I was at the illustrators conference they were talking about vr painting painting in vr and i don't remember the project but that's really cool it's like being able to paint in midair but like limitless uh possibilities and no that sounds really no cool, materials needed Interesting. so like uh you so would it be like stationized so um say this was a studio right Mm. um well it is a studio technically i guess right but when you walked in here you put on vr goggles Mm -hmm. and it would be like a second version of my basement where you could draw so if i had an art tim if you were here we give you the goggles 
and you you could repaint and mural on that wall, which you could only see from a digital aspect. That Is that what you're talking about? That would be augmented art. The oh, art. Okay. Think about, well, I could technically say I built all these furniture pieces, your room in a 3D space. Yeah. I could build that in this VR because 3D, that's what... You're right, because augmented yeah. means that it's interacting with the yeah. real world and mm -hmm. then putting some stuff over. Okay. But yeah, yeah it's part of that. I don't, added another layer I thought was cool I, that's going to be integrated with that. Painting like a painting like original, traditional artist, but in a video game environment. Like say, hmm. I'm... I want to go to this cool scene I love in Final Fantasy 15 on the top of a cliff. I set up an easel and I'm painting the crazy creatures like hurting. I, you can do that in the future. Soon enough, you'll be able to go in a video game and paint your favorite scene. When are you expecting this to start? my mind right now. I kind uh, of don't even understand what you just said. Couple. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, I... It's it was like I, I was like I was digging what you were saying until so where are they drawing that like in a video game they're drawing yeah, that yeah. so like all right I'm in Final Fantasy and uh, okay so me as my all right not Robert right but my my digital avatar you, you have a, you Robert have, the painter you have a the free online moving painter camera free moving camera God, interesting and you go to where you want to get that point of that perspective so you're gonna basically giving more access to like a sandbox mode which is like what a lot of creators use yeah. to kind of like look around for glitches in art design give that to other people so they can actually dig into the art graphic a little bit more dig into it but like you'll be able to paint a real world looking painting in the video game world but then doesn't that mean that somebody can also just like paint a giant dick in the middle of the video game too? Like I'll be walking you're, playing Final Fantasy. That's the risk. Somebody painting a giant. That's the risk you're willing to take. Listen, with progress comes let great me, risk. Let me, let me step back. You are painting on a on a canvas. Like you bring your own easel. In real life, in, you're painting no, on no, a no, canvas. No, 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 no. In the game, like my I'm moving in the game, free roaming camera. I put up an easel <laughs> on this video game landscape. And I'm painting my favorite, the scene I'm in, the video game. With, a, pe with a penis. Reality. Yeah. All so then what am I going to so do even, with the okay, painting after Forget that. the video game part. You paint here in your basement here in yeah, Clawson, yeah, yeah. wherever the hell you are. But you're like, man, you I know really... You know this is Clawson's <laughs> number one ranked podcast. <laughs> you're like, I really wish I could paint on the beaches in Hawaii. Yeah, I get that. You can use this program to paint on the beaches in Hawaii. You can just take yourself there virtually. That's what I and I understand right. that from a standpoint that of but video game worlds. I just don't understand yeah, why I you mean, would want to paint it. Aaron, say so you're going world. to the Mushroom Kingdom. I guess Kingdom. I kind of do because you could like it's almost like art without the storage, right? The art because if you're digital. a painter, if you're a painter, you could do a big painting inside mm -hmm. a video game world where like where the hell are you going to store a 500 foot painting? Think of Minecraft. Some of the crazy things people have designed in that that are, are works of art. Yeah. And it's like there's no way you could you could have like a giant castle in your basement like that. Or a giant mm -hmm. dick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you just can't you can't get the. It's creating a allows you to go to new worlds and paint new environments and scenes. Yeah. I think I'm just too like tied down to like physical mediums. It's just it's really a hindering my yeah, it, uh, growth. It, it, I, I'm I agree with you because I'm trying to grasp the concept of what we're talking about. I'm like, what? 
Yeah, you're what? So you <laughs> yeah. you go into something to do something you can do in the real world. But then yeah. it's like you get you're doing it like it's there's no fast forward because you're doing it in real time. But at the end, instead of having a giant painting, you have like a memory card with a painting on it. <laughs> so it's like I don't know. I get it though. I now, dig it. What would be cool is if in the real world there was an easel with a canvas on it, but in the matrix that you're in. And you're painting all this stuff, but then it appears on that real world. I see what you mean. Yeah. Like a smart easel. All right. So um, I, I think they do this in Animal Crossing, right? What? What's that? Oh, that's that game. Animal Crossing. Oh. So, uh, you know, you have a hat, right? And uh, you can go into like a graphic editor and like draw what you want the hat to look like. And then they they make that skin for your character. Yeah, it's kind of like the old Call of Duty games where you can make your own Call of Duty badges and things like that. Oh. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm. Animal Crossing did it first. Yeah. All right, let's get back to design. Let's, let's plug the actual website you're looking at, Tim. I don't think we've done that yet. Oh, yes. This is uh, put on uh, by Design Core Detroit, designcore.org. You can find all the information it talks about uh, their their purpose. You got a tab for that, the Detroit City of Design tab. That'll go into review of why Detroit is City of Design, and then the whole month events and schedules tab for that. And networks. If you're a designer, that'll be a spot you'll be digging. Uh, and moving on to if you are a designer, they got these. They call it 15 second festival. At Kobo, it's a two-day business growth experience, so you can just like do a mass uh, networking blitz to learn about what you can do with your design capabilities, network with other uh, design business entrepreneurs. Uh, I think that'll be good. It'll be able to really put bring people together, together, shake hands on some business deals. I hope. Yeah, you would hope so. Something a lot more fun than, you know, just looking and ooing eyeing or yeah. getting down to business of this month of design. Bikes, beers, and bosters. That's uh, cool. Because I like, I like it because this, as far as much as you've described, it still seems super niche to me. You know, like, I, I like that they're, they're, there's got to be some way to pull some more people in. You know, like, I want to, this is a, such a cool event. I don't want it to just be like a... I don't want to say like a nerd event, but yeah, um, not like just like well, a closed mm-hmm. event, you know, like find a way to like the murals is a great way to make that a citywide event. But how many, you know, r- regular people, for lack of a better term, are going to go to a, some of these events? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it. It's I don't want it to just be like a boys club type yeah. thing, you know, open this up, man. Like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe they are. Maybe they're hopefully they are. Maybe it, this is just a like, piece of what we know is going on. It's kind of so. like bringing the museum out to the public they yeah. got a dia outside yeah so oh well i don't want to go through a whole museum yeah. i hate when art is elite elitist right and mm-hmm. the d- idea of like half of these events being really more designed for artists it makes it i don't want to say less interesting but you know yeah, what I, I mean like i, I, I just i want it to be open mm-hmm. so you'll be able to do a nice relaxing ride through detroit uh they'll cover architecture uh and architecture that is like predominantly how ornate Detroit is. I'm going to butcher his name, Corrado Parducci. Uh, he'll be someone I'll be able to learn about because I'm going to go through this bike ride. Uh, 
You wind down at the Bobian House. It is one of the oldest Detroit homes. I, I want to see what the oldest architecture inside of a home and, and that is awesome. And yeah. drink beer. Yeah. The what's the name of that? Uh, it was a former house that's kind of like a restaurant right now where they do. Uh, uh, it's sort of near the Magic Stick, I believe. It's I a the Hunter House. house. It's not called the Hunter House. That's a slider place. Yeah, that's slider place. But uh, there's a, there's a house down there that has. It's got three bars. It's got the Ghost Bar. They do brunch in the uh, garden. Uh, there's a main restaurant on the main floor, but that's what it was. It was oh, like the a, Whitney. The Whitney, yeah. It was like yeah. a the like, Whitney Garden. Yeah, like a lumber baron's house in like 1920. Mm-hmm. Such an amazing place to think like, oh my god, people used to live here. But I know exactly what you're saying. Like the oldest architecture uh, architecture in the city of Detroit. Like I'd love to see what that looks like. Very French orientated. Uh, there's there's so many events I can't go through them all and wasn't wasn't keen on every single event myself what's, uh, what's light up Livernoy that, that's what I was gonna go to next because it's more accessible it is just historical Avenue of fashion actually Steve is calling Ooh. like oh, are you gonna do your bit on fashion I'm like uh, it's not like quite like that <laughs> all right I misspoke now we're bad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah th- this will be uh, lights projections art for all visual stimuli Ooh. and uh, l- let me click on that that uh, page for you they got a nice graphic for you it's uh, all neon it looks like the uh the event page it's a combinate like it's not just the events that design core detroit is putting on because mm-hmm. they signify hey this is one of our events and this is one of the other official events so yeah. that's cool that they're uh yeah it's fostering a lot of partner yeah, because they they don't want to be like this is our thing we're doing because we are the you know, it it's all hands on deck to really uh, put out what Detroit design is mm. about. Uh, it's going to be like a little festival, basically, yeah, down, do we know, down one of the old avenues. Do we know how big the des- design month of Detroit is in comparison? Like, is there? I'm assuming there's a design month in New York and a design month in Chicago. Do we know? Actually, I lived in Chicago for years, and I never... Like saw even like a mention of there mm. being like that kind of thing. You would think there would be, mm-hmm. but a, a month is a long time though for an entire for a city to really put on an event like this. Yeah. So maybe this is relatively big in the uh, community. I, I feel like this is now we're comparing to other cities. I think mm. cities do do this. Okay, but we we just had like the shorter week, weekish, more predominantly on the weekend mm. festival. Gotcha, and it was smaller, but. We are getting nationwide, mm. international-wide uh, attraction mm. for artists, designers. I mean, we got low uh, low cost of living, so yeah. artists are going to come here. <laughs> and that kind of wraps it up for what I I was dabbling in my interest. I, I'm going to check out stuff that I have no idea about, but I like trying new things, even if I have no idea what it's going to be. Definitely. Uh, yeah, and if anyone listening has recommendations of uh, events that we should check out, or maybe some ones that Tim fucked up on talking about, mm. um, <laughs> if you want to let us know what we should be checking out, uh, where we should be going, um, you know, fuck it. If you're an artist and you have something going on in this event, throw yourself, uh, you know, some some pub in the comments. Thanks. Yep. Don't forget designcore.org. Check that website out. Get all the information you need for uh, the uh, month of design. Thanks. Thank you.
Hold on, you guys. Looking you, bitch. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Man, I'm happy. Hi, I was. I was going to see if I can place an order for my organization. Okay. Uh, do you do? Do you guys do catering of any kind? Yeah, we do. Oh, nice. Uh, do, uh, do you do like platters, or can you kind of special order what you're interested in? Uh, like uh, for how many people? I think there's three of us right now. Oh, three of you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's kind of a, it's like a weekly thing. So we're trying to get, you know, we really want to get something arranged so that you know every. Uh, Tuesday when we record, you know, the Under Channel. I'm sure you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so have you ever, do you have my own menu? You know, I don't have your menu. I'm looking. Do you guys? You guys have vermicelli? Huh? Vermicelli? What? It's kind of like a Mexican spaghetti. I was kind of. Is you guys sell kind of like is ethnic food, right? Uh, it's Chinese food. Oh, Chinese food. Okay. Um. All right, so here at the Under Channel, uh, we don't really, we're not big on Chinese food, but um, I was wondering, okay, oh, actually, no, you got you sweet and sour chicken, right? Yeah, we do have sweet and oh, sour chicken. Oh, oh, okay, perfect. I love sweet and sour chicken. I mean, I guess the guys in the show, I guess they'll probably have to just kind of suck it up, but, um, so have you ever been to theunderchannel.com? What? Theunderchannel.com, that's T-H-E-E-U-N-D-E-R-C-H-A-N-N-E-L.com. Have you ever been to that website? Oh, man, you should check it out. It's pretty good. All right, thank you.